Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. 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 Bonjour. Hello. Hello. You're listening to a very special edition of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. This is week 39 and I'm Craig Fields. I'm David Long. I'm Shivani Rayat. Je m'appelle Toby Dunbrevano. I'm Ranjit Nanra. And I'm Floss Hafter. And we've gone out of our way to see all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. Now, coming up on this week's episode, we're going to be delving into a number of reviews. Uh, they are as follows. The Peanut Butter, Falcon, Maleficent 2, Mistress of Evil, Shaun the Sheep, Farmageddon, Zombieland, Double Tap, Doctor Sleep, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Official Secrets, Terminator, Dark Fate, and finally, The Adams Family. That's a whopping total of nine films that we're going to be reviewing on this week's show. Uh, you're probably wondering why there were so many people in the introduction there. And uh, where the hell is David? Well, David is currently on holiday. He's sunning it up in glorious Marrakesh, Morocco. Uh, and so we've had to enlist the help of the wonderful Is It Worth It team um, and uh, they've done a fantastic job on this week's episode, and I'm really looking forward to you guys listening to it. Um, I've received numerous photos of David um, whilst being on holiday of him, one of which he's wearing a purple fez and a purple shirt, and that looks rather rather fetching. Uh, and another is David with his dad sitting in front of a snake. Um, it looks like he's enjoying himself very much by the sounds of it. Anyway, David will be featuring later on in this episode, as we did pre-record a couple of reviews together. Um, but otherwise, going forward, uh, take a listen to the box office rundown. It stars Toby and Ranjit and myself going through the box office rundown. This is the Box Office Rundown, brought to you by Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. That's right, it's the Box Office Rundown for the weekend of the 1st to the 3rd of November 2019. And I'm joined this week in the studio with two special guests. Uh, who have we got? Well, we've got Ranjit and we've got Toby. Hello, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, very well. Not too bad. Toby, what? you good? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't want to fluff it up, but you you talked over me. It's, it's fine. You are right, though, Toby? Yeah, I'm good. Good. Uh, so where should we kick off? Usually David kicks off at number 10. Um, Ranjit, would you like to kick off at number 10 instead? Let's do it. So at number 10, we have a film that none of us have heard of. We have Dan, TDM Presents The Contest. Um, so yeah, we looked into it and it seems to be some sort of YouTube thing, but none of us are familiar with it. So no, yeah, it's not out of the cinema. No, well, our cinema, Cine World. Yeah, I don't, don't know. I've never heard of it. Never seen it anywhere. No posters, nothing. So don't know. Um, it is definitely a UK release because we've we, we've had some trouble looking up for the box yeah. offices, we didn't we? And yeah. um, 
the one that we found is from the BFI. So this is definitely a UK box office. So it is a UK release. Um, and yeah, we don't know what it is. Uh, Toby, what's in at number nine? At number nine, we have Sorry We Missed You. Uh, we're going to be reviewing this one on week 40 uh, and I'm actually really looking forward to it but I won't say anything else other than that uh, in at number 8 we have Zombieland Double Tap we're going to be reviewing that on this week's show Toby's going to be re- reviewing that with me uh, and we won't say anything else uh, in at number 7 uh, Ranjit at number 7 is Abominable uh, have either of you seen Abominable yet? I have not seen it no. Uh, so we reviewed that a couple of weeks ago, uh, me and David anyway did, and uh, it was a really, really enjoyable uh, animated children's film. Um, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised what Shivani says about Abominable compared to Sean the Sheep uh, this week, which she and I, uh, well, mainly her, reviewed <laughs> uh, on this week's episode. Uh, so stick around and listen out for that one. I'm uh, just glad I got the title right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have yeah. been getting that title wrong. Uh, in at number six, then, Toby, what have we got? Number six, we have Sean the Sheep, Farmageddon. Uh, so this is, again, as we, I just said, is going to be reviewed on this week's show with uh, myself and Shivani. Uh, so keep an eye out for, or keep an ear out for that one. Uh, in at number five, then, we have Terminator Dark Fate. And Ranjit and I are going to be reviewing that later on in the show, so we won't say anything else. Uh, Ranjit, number four, then, please. Number four is Stephen King's Doctor Sleep. Uh, again, another one that we're going to be reviewing on this week's episode, uh, and I'll be doing that with the magnificent Toby, uh, and we won't be saying anything else other than that. Uh, in at number three, then, Toby, what have we got? Number three, we have Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. And again, guess what? We're going to be reviewing this one on this week's show as well, and this one I'll be doing with with Shivani. Uh, so in at number two, we have The Adams Family, and uh, I'll be reviewing this one with Floss again on this week's show. Uh, so the only one one that's in at number one Ranjit is Joker is Joker and this is one that I think we've all seen yeah um, and we've reviewed earlier on in the f- couple of weeks ago I guess um, so it'd actually be quite good to get uh, your guys opinion on Joker I think Ranjit I'll start off with you diehard sure. DC fan yeah um, I think because I'm a diehard DC fan I had a few problems with it um, I think I like it because I like Joaquin Phoenix's performance I love the mm-hmm. cinematography I love the music but for me, I think that's where it stops. I think the story is quite weak. And I think it's pretty crazy that it's going to probably hit a billion dollars soon. So that's it's a, it's a big win for DC and Warner Brothers. But for yeah, for me, I think the, the story is quite weak. And it's Joaquin's, Joaquin Phoenix's performance, which is the strong point for me. Yeah, I think that's exactly where I'm going with that. I think David would disagree with you. I think yeah. he really loved the story. Um, Toby, what did you think? I did like it. I have to agree with Ranjit, but the story was uh, very weak for me. It's just the way they portrayed society was a bit shallow, but the performance was amazing. So in the end, the performance is not enough to actually create a masterpiece or a really great film. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I felt as well. And that more so when I watched it the first time. The second time I watched it, I kind of overlooked the story elements and enjoyed the performance more got a little bit more involved with the with, with the performance and yes i agree the the film isn't a masterpiece but i think the the performance nonetheless really raises the the story up to some degree and yeah. i do love the film very very much so but yeah i don't think it's a masterpiece and i think if david was here right now he'd be yeah he loved it he'd be cursing us wouldn't he <laughs> yeah. right now? um cool so that is the box office rundown uh who wants to do the box office rundown from 10 to 1 like david does 
Ranjit, do you want to give it a go? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so at number 10, we have Dan TDM presents the contest. At number nine, we have Sorry We Missed You. At number eight, Zombieland, double tap. Number seven, Abominable. Number six, Shaun the Sheep, Farmageddon. Number five, Terminator Dark Fate. Number four, Stephen King's Doctor Sleep. Number three, Maleficent Mistress of Evil. Number two, The Addams Family. And number one, Joker. And that's the Box Office Rundown for this week. So to kick off week 39, I'm first of all joined in the studio with Shivani. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. It is uh, a different day to some of the, all the other reviews that we're going to be doing. So this is going to be a massively disjointed and uh, sort of montaged episode. And I, I've probably already said that in the introduction and with other people uh, for the other different reviews, but that's fine. Um, what are we reviewing together? We're doing The Peanut Butter Falcon, Maleficent 2, and what are you doing? I'm doing Farmageddon. On your own? Yeah. So you're going to be telling me all about that. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, but before we actually kick off with that, just give us a little bit about yourself in terms of what you love about film or why you love film, why you're working with us, all that sort of stuff. Um, well, I, I've always loved telling stories, I think. I suppose that's my main um, interest in film. And obviously... I love watching films. Um, <laughs> I don't think uh, either of us would be here if that was, wasn't true. Um, it's very easy to like get lost in the form of something, so like the form of a film, or form of a play, or form of a book. Um, and I really like the differences between those things because yeah. obviously that affects the story. So yeah, I just I really like um, different types of storytelling. Yeah, lots of different media. Yeah, yeah. Me too, me too. Um, so that's great. So you're going to be here doing this. There's other things that you're going to be doing as well throughout the next year that we've planned, which we're really excited about. And you're thinking, what are you, what are you talking about? Oh, no, you I know exactly I, I, what we're I talking remember about. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forgot for a second and then now I remember. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> that's all right. It's all, it's, you know, it's in there. It's just... She's pointing to her head, by the way. This is, I have a head. This is audio. <laughs> <laughs> they can't see. Oh, God damn it. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Uh, so should we, should we kick off with the first review then, which is The Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, so what is this film about? Well, Zach is a young man with Down syndrome. His dream is to become a wrestler just like his hero, the saltwater redneck. But Zach is living in what is essentially an old people's home. Uh, he has no family and the state are unable to provide Zach with the care he truly needs. He builds up a rapport with his care worker but Zach is determined to escape nonetheless uh, the old people's home is clearly not the right place for him eventually Zach finds his way out and the adventure begins he bumps into a wayward fisherman who reluctantly takes Zach on the run together they venture to the school of wrestlers run by the saltwater redneck growing closer along the way all while Zach's care worker tries to track them down concerned for Zach's well-being let's take a little listen to a clip new rule is you can't slow me down you understand? Put those on. So what I says go. I say jump, you say how high. How high? There it is. Rule number one, don't slow me down. Rule number two, I'm in charge. And you're going to carry your own weight. You are in charge. That's right. Uh, maybe we should. Maybe we should have our own secret handshake. What kind of secret handshake? For what? Bud, dude, friend. Let's do his friend's handshake. All right, come on. Let's go. Hurry up. 
All right, three of those, four of those. One of those. No work. Hey, Ted. Yeah. Only when special shit happens, Lauren. Yeah, I'll special thing. Special things, you don't curse. No. Why don't you curse? Bring that down. Okay, come on. You are in charge. Exactly. Come on. Hey, what's rule number one? What's rule number one? Party? No, not party. No, it's not party. <laughs> I I love that clip. I really do. Yeah, it's it's, it's one of my favorite scenes in the film. Um, even though I've only seen it once, which I'm so sad about. I Same. really wanted it to see it more than once, but it wasn't in the cinema for very long. Um, but I, I I'm pretty sure that he um, improvised that line party when he was asked for the first time. Um, what rule number one was and he just said party and they kept it in and I really love it. <laughs> it's great. This is what I love about this film though. It is so heartwarming and real as well and you get a sense of that and, and I didn't know that that line was improvised but you get a feeling that that perhaps was and if you get a feeling that perhaps the, the, the majority of the film perhaps was yeah, improvised. I can see that. Yeah, and I, I really like that about it. It feels uh, very real and very and natural. Yeah. And very natural. Now, uh, this movie is directed by Tyler Nilsson and uh, Michael Schwartz. Um, these two are both known mainly for doing documentaries and short films uh, or short doc- documentaries. Um, they've both worked with Alex Honnold, who, who is uh, an American rock climber, uh, best known for Free Solo, where he ascended one of the biggest uh, free solo climbs ever. Uh, it's a fantastic documentary. If you haven't yeah. watched it, please go and watch it. It's amazing. I will. Um, which then this has taken me by a bit of su- surprise for these two to come out with this kind of movie. It's a big U-turn for both of them. Um, and I will say straight away, I really, really love this movie. I think it's possibly one of the, my, my favourite movies of this year. Yeah, I agree. I think I'd, yeah, I'd say that as well. Yeah, and I think the best way of kicking off this review is by talking about the acting. Now, it's got Shia LaBeouf who plays Tyler. He's one of the main protagonists. He is the wayward fisherman um, who is on a bit of a downward spiral um, and it's played in such a way that you know that his his actions within the film come from pain and you sort of almost forgive him for that. But it's the, it's the subtle nuance of his acting his facial expressions shows the pain that he's going through and then the motives for what he's doing within the film. And that comes from obviously great acting, but also really great direction and a really, really good script. And it's got that combination of having all three of those things going on, the acting, the directing, this really great script. And yeah, it's just brilliant for Shia LaBeouf to begin with. What do you think of yeah, Shia LaBeouf's I, performance? I think we, we mentioned this in the, the Road to the Oscars yes. episode. Um, I would have loved to see him being nominated, but I don't think he will, just because it's such a small film. It's a very independent film. Um, but yeah, his performance was absolutely amazing. I think best performance since Holes, obviously. <laughs> we love Holes, don't we? We, we really do. I really, I'm going to watch it again when I get home. Um, yeah, I, it, I, I really, really, really like this film. Yeah. And the performances were absolutely stunning. Um, and even from Dakota, Dakota, yeah, Dakota Johnson. That, that's, that's her name. That's her name. Um, and obviously, uh, Zach Gott. Gottesgun. Gottesgun? Yes, Gottesgun. Yes, yes. Who, um, I'm pretty sure, so the director, he met him in, like, it was like a, 
a camp or like uh, for like disabled and non-disabled people and um he wanted to be a movie star um so uh he zach yeah zach sorry Zach, he wanted to be a movie star um and then the director he wrote a film around him so oh, this so they've written the film yeah i'm pretty sure around yeah. zach and obviously they he plays zach in the movie as yeah. well so zach plays zach uh, who is he is obviously a down syndrome uh, actor and this is obviously his first film then um and he is the ray of light within yeah, this movie he, he really is the glue is. of everything and and i guess now that you've said that they've written the film around him it really does show that actually yeah um and They've done such a fabulous job with that then. Um, what's mentioned in the movie is that this is like a Mark Twain novel. Mm, yes, and they, and yeah. they, they, they say that in the movie as well. And it so is. It's, it's a real um, adventure film that's really, really rich in character. Um, well, a character-driven film really, isn't it? But yeah. the adventure runs in parallel with that. And it's so well done. The ballad, it has a really fine balance of drama and comedy and brilliant acting and it's just got everything in it that you could possibly love in the in the in the film um and that is reflected as well in the rotten tomato scores i think as well so critics give it 95% which is amazing and then audience gave it 96% so far and i think that's only going to go up as more people see it yeah i'm not surprised by that i'm so i'm so impressed about with this film and I'm not surprised that the audience and critics score are so so high. Mm. I yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of this film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you got any other notes that you want to mention? Go go for it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was uh, did have one thing so I I hadn't actually I realized this afterwards. Mm. I hadn't actually seen a film about well, I don't think it's about but about down syndrome before. Um it's not really in our sort of realm of 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 films that we've got nowadays. Um and yeah, I only realised this after watching it. And I was kind of ashamed about that. I think um, the only other thing, film I can think of was maybe Precious, but that had she had um, a Down syndrome daughter, I think. Mm. But obviously, that film was about her. It was a very, very, very strong film. Um, the thing is, this this isn't a film, as you said. Uh, you say it's not about Down syndrome, and it's not about Down it's not, syndrome. No. It's just about a young man yeah. who happens to have Down syndrome. Yeah, um, and. It's more about his placement in society and how the government, or uh, um, you know, um, can't handle the pressures of looking after someone who doesn't have a a family or b the yeah. right infrastructure to to care for him. And you know, he is essentially just happens to have Down syndrome and might need that little bit more extra help to have independent support of some sort. And he is more than capable of looking after himself. He is more than capable of going on this adventure, but yeah. it just so happens that Shia LaBeouf's character, Tyler, they sort of stumble upon each other and it's just that that adventure that they go on and then the love that builds up between the two, that is the journey that this film takes us on and, and that is why I love it so much because yeah. it feels so real. That connection that they end up achieving is is so wonderful and so well done yeah it really is yeah i think that there's so much emphasis on um equal representation and inclusion nowadays that you forget that most minorities are still not in the limelight including people with mental disabilities um and i think one of the reasons this film was so powerful is because it shocks you into the reality that films and media are still wrapping sort of their audience in cotton wool mm. and and 
with the, the occasional anomaly like this film that kind of convinces you that the industry is progressing, whether it is or not. But mm. yeah, I mean, we've had um, arguments, not arguments, but cases towards uh, people or actors, great actors who are playing roles that should be given to people that have uh, disabilities of some sort, whether that's physical or mental disabilities that are, are visually or, you know, easy to portray, not easy to portray, but, you know, it, it's difficult to explain here, but you yeah. know where I'm going, yeah, yeah, don't you? Yeah. Like, you know, we have the Stephen Hawkins film where, you know, a, a capable mm. actor that doesn't have any disabilities whatsoever portrayed an, a, a person in real life who did have uh, disabilities. And it's like, why can't there be people who have these disabilities actually portraying people yeah. who have these actual disabilities? And I think this is a case study that actually is proving that people with these disabilities can do the films and make really wonderful brilliant fantastic films so i think i think this is another reason why i love the film it's just so straight like in terms of the casting in terms of the story and it's just it's just so well done it really is it really is i mean like I know you have some experiences, but having having a mental disability or having someone in your life with a mental disability, like anything, can be extremely rewarding and extremely challenging. Mm. Um, speaking from my very limited experience, um, but I think this film illustrates that perfectly. Mm. Um, there are moments that warm your heart to the core. <laughs> it was really lovely moments, mm. um, which is always the case when you have like two seemingly opposing characters who... Uh, become good friends and form a unique bond. Um, but you also have instances where you're kind of worried about this man with Down syndrome, who's, how he's going to react to moments that upset him or frustrate him. Yep. Um, I think the way they deal with this is absolutely stunning and almost raises a lot of expectations and discomfort associated with the subject of mental disability. Mm. Yeah, I, do, I just think it deals with it so well. <laughs> Um, and also there's, there's a charming uh, innocence to the humour and it's it's delightful um, even with the whole premise um, of a young man who's just he's got Down syndrome and he runs away from a nursing home and to, be, to become a wrestler it's an amazing premise it, it really is it really is <laughs> um, I think this film um, could have easily gone down the whole as you said like George and Lenny kind of harsh reality route from of mice and men yeah, style. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um but it just doesn't and it's like it's just a breath of fresh air and i think it's a very important film um in the same way that i think the day shall come is a very important film mm. um it's it's they're both really important so i think same important um not just the idea that they tell stories that haven't been told before um, but also in their acceptance, a laughter and comedy can be just as powerful as tragedy and suffering on screen. Yep. Um, I really hope more films embrace this. Um, you know, just sometimes things are funny and that's great. And not everything has to be all woe is me and, and self-pitying. Yeah. yeah, 100%. <laughs> okay, so I think it's fair to say we can ask questions yeah. <laughs> for, for this review now. So, the peanut butter falcon, Shivani, is it worth it? Definitely, definitely worth it. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. It's definitely worth watching in the cinema if you can find a screening uh, within 
Central London is possibly think, your best bet with some of the most lower key cinemas. I think um, uh, Prince Charles is doing it. Leicester yeah. Square. Um, not sure about many others, but yeah, independent cinemas. I think yeah. probably perhaps the best bet. in Berkhamsted and St Albans, we've yeah. got the Odyssey and the Rex. Yeah, they might definitely. still be showing it there. Um, so if you can get to the cinemas to see this film, it's so so worth watching. Um, so that was the review of the Peanut Butter Falcon. We're going to move swiftly on to our second review, which is Maleficent. Two. Uh, so, what is this film about? Shivani, would you like to do the honours of reading the synopsis? Sure. Um, so, five years on following the events of the first fi- film, Maleficent and her goddaughter Aurora are challenged by the impending union between Prince Philip and Aurora, who is queen of the Moors. Prince Philip's mother, the queen, creates tension between Aurora and Maleficent, causing a rift between the two. But all is not what it seems. Big things are at play, and Maleficent is presented with some new information that might just change everything. Let's take a listen to a clip. Mistress! What? I have a little bit of news. Well, on with it. It's nothing of any real consequence, and it's certainly no reason to overreact. It's just that Prince Philip has... um... Disappeared. (laughs) No. No, Philip has... Yellow fever? No, wait. Leprosy. No, mistress. Prince Philip has asked Aurora if she'll become his... Don't. Ruin my morning. I, I quite like that clip because I, it, I, I like that clip. You know why I like that clip? It it shows just how forced <laughs> some of the acting in this can be. Now I think uh, Angelina Jolie is actually sensational, but you know it's the it's it's the it's the acting from like Sam Riley there who's like putting on this bit of an Irish accent, and it's it's almost so forced. <laughs> you know, it's because it's borderline. <sighs> Leprechaun? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think the the whole film is quite comical in that way. Like, there's a lot of fantastical things going on, and then there's the odd um, misstep (laughs) in terms of. um... Mm, I think that's putting it lightly. So, (laughs) I think I'll kick this off by saying I really wish I enjoyed this more, but I didn't. Um, it's it is an enjoyable watch to an extent, and I think if you're not being critical of it, you can get into it a little bit. But I, I think the way that the movie dealt with the mistress of evil is just strange. I mean, it's yeah. it's strange because first of all, after the first film, you realise she's not actually evil. Yeah, yeah. No, I I felt. I mean, I really enjoyed the first film. I really liked it. Um, it was fun and it was it was visually stunning. Um, but I think. also, it turned its head on a fairy tale. Yes, and yeah. changed the point of view. And and I thought that was really unique about the way that they were telling that story. But the second one, it almost reboots things again. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh, by the way, we've you know she's she's still evil. Yeah, but is she still evil? No, she's not still evil. She wasn't at the end of the first film. I, I, I was a bit confused by that because like, like they, they have people have forgotten. Five yeah. years on, people have somehow forgotten that she she's yeah. done these good deeds. She's you know actually. Well, that's that's what the, like sort of the little narration at the beginning of the film um, says that oh yeah, Maleficent did did some good things, but it's been lost to, to history almost, and stories have been spread that she's evil, mm. um, which I didn't I didn't I didn't play with the film I don't, I don't know it's so it's disjointed yeah so story wise um it's it's like 
a jigsaw puzzle. So we have millions of pieces and someone's opened the box, thrown the puzzle up in the air <laughs> and miraculously pieces have landed together to form a story. However, there's so many gaps within this story that it's just... It just you just can't make out the bigger picture, and I just don't understand where this film was going throughout the course of the film. And we get to the ending, we know where it's going to end in some sense. That it's going to be some kind of happy ending because it's you know it's a fairy tale that's not really a fairy tale, but it's just so gappy and so yeah. missed. There's so many missteps in it that I just. I mean, I yeah. did. I really like. I really like the visuals of the of both films because they're very. It's very. It mm, really, really. I quite like it. It's, some of it is like. Uh, you know the CGI for yeah, the yeah, fairy yeah. fairy godmothers, or the aunties, as as Aurora calls them. It's so bad. I mean, I mean, like little things. Like, um, I really like the fact that when she like uses her her magic for for good, it's kind of gold color, and then when she uses for evil, it's kind of green. I quite like the parallels of like good and evil there. That's quite cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's an that's a nice. Thing that they've managed to put in there but when you look at the visuals from the point of view of some of the cgi that they put in there it's quite um bad <laughs> is the only word i can describe it i mean the faces of those aunties fairies the godmother thingy majiggy creatures is so bizarre and yeah. it's quite clearly badly done and it's it's off-putting to some extent and creepy as well actually i think they could have afforded to raise some more questions about good and evil in this as well because story-wise yes because yeah, you you have a character who like a, a protagonist who goes from being all good to all evil and then good again and then in the sequel she goes from sort of sort of good so she's good evil with a bit of a then... weird bad streak but yeah then she becomes but it's the outside opinion of her seems to have not have changed yeah even though it did at the I end of the first one really could have played with that and that that would have been a lot more interesting to see yeah but it's it, it's what they're giving us isn't enough no. at all and the, the part of the story is that actually uh maleficent is introduced to her own kind yeah, and the way that they do that is either she is aware of them and they are aware of her, but we can't quite tell as an audience member whether or not she was aware of them or not. And then again, the the, the size of the kingdom or or the size of the world that they're building here seems very small. Yeah, it's confusing. Like I think they could have done with a lot more world building. They could have done with a lot more background, I suppose. But I think one problem we both had with this film is that she's not in it for a lot of it. I mean, she's for the whole of the second act, she's off with her own kind, but nothing really happens. We, we could have learned a lot more yeah, about have. her origin in a, in a way. Yeah. Because you, you still didn't deal with that. You still don't no. know how she was separated or how she has become, you know, got to this point in time where she was this mistress of evil and she was doing yeah. bad and she did this that and the other like and and how she wasn't aware of their kind like it's, it they were giving yeah. her a bit of background but just not enough i mean they kind of focused in on like i'm still not entirely clear about it but how she's this sort of actually that's kind of a spoiler isn't it actually, it is a, yeah, yeah keep that bit quiet yeah, sorry about that i just realized that before i said it which is good yeah I well done. Say thank you yeah um but yeah they they they, they give her a little bit of backup but just, um, just not enough for us to be interested almost like you want to know more but you just don't get it yeah 
and yeah. and that that's bad. And for a film that runs at two hours, they could have fit that fitted that in there. For sure. Yeah, they. I, they, I think they could have afforded to add more conflict. I think, or more depth to yeah. the characters. It yeah. just it seemed to lack the depth that there the first lot. one sort of tended to have. There wasn't a lot of development. In no terms of character. Considering she's the protagonist, there was more development for Elle Fanning's character Aurora. Yeah, yeah. Um, it felt like she was the one moving the plot forward, um, as but opposed to the main. Again, character. her her character seemed like a, a bit of a caricature, almost like of a yeah. of an English princess um like i'm I, I like her as an actress i really do i think she's actually really really good um super eight was one of the first films that she did and i really really enjoyed that but in here she does feel a little bit over the top ott princess style you know yeah and it's the accent that really puts me off actually i think yeah it's very put on um, and it's for most of the characters it's yeah. like that as well and that again that just annoyed me a little bit yeah yeah a lot of the almost every single character is doing an accent other than the fake uh, British accent <laughs> of some sort yeah yeah um, yeah I really do like Michelle Pfeiffer but she, her accent's like a bit I mean that's a, a, bit it's a great yeah. cast isn't it it's if you think really about it. good cast yeah but just the combination something's missing in it and it's definitely the script and the story yeah it's a, it's a shame because you go to this film um because of the main character and it's kind of disappointing well you want to you want to know the next stage of the story from the yeah. first film and they just do not deliver on that I, I kind of found myself wanting her to embrace her evil side a bit more mm. um and I felt that um I felt that with um one of the new Star Wars but I think it was the last Jedi mm. um yeah, I really wanted the main character, Ray, uh, to mm. like be best friends with Kylo Ren. I really wanted them to like, you know, go to the dark side together. It was, I don't know why, just watching that film. I think that might be my obsession with Adam Driver talking though. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, again, but that's that's very different because that is a middle yeah, film but... to a trilogy that we know. So you know that with that, there's more to that story. With this one, there could potentially yeah. be yeah. a trilogy, but nothing, you know it's not going to be a trilogy. They're not, and they haven't announced that, you know, this is just a, a two-part story. They've continued it on because the first one was such a success. They want to make more money. It's very clear with that. Mm. You know, nothing, It's not planned as a trilogy. So, you know, it's not like a, a typical middle film. It, it's a it's a bookend. You know, it's yeah. you you got the first one, and now this should be the second one. And if they fit, if this is successful, they might make another one. But to me, it's not successful. I think critically, as we can see on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got forty percent, <laughs> and I would completely agree with that. Audiences, though, however, have given it ninety percent. And crazy. again, I can see why audiences have liked it because they love Maleficent. They love that character, but. Um, Again, I, it's, it's it's always the case that yeah. like critically bad films tend to get much higher on audience scores. Just it's just what is popular. I think um, it's Disney. It's just Disney. It's Disney. It's Disney. They are oh, ruling so the sad. world. I'm so sad about how much Disney, how much power Disney have. Um, <laughs> like that really gets me down. It's not good, really, is <laughs> it's it? It's really not. I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> I'm struggling as well. I'm struggling with whether or not I'm going to give this film a is it worth it seeing in the cinema bit at the end. I, I'm, I, I think I know the answer. I think ultimately, if you come out of a film wanting the main character to be more evil and more interesting, there's something definitely lacking. Mm. And I mean, I don't know if you're going to ask the question, but I know my answer. I think, yeah, I think we're ready, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> Shivani. 
Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, is it worth it? No, it's not. I think the first one is. I, I don't think this one but is. But they won't put that back in the cinema, are they? Well, no, no, sorry. Okay, no. right, so, right, no. no, this one is not worth seeing. <laughs> no. I, agree, I agree with you. It's really not worth seeing in the cinema. Is uh, Wait for it to come out on Disney Plus because it's definitely going to be coming out there. <laughs> when Plus. we're going to get Disney Plus, I don't know. I it's don't probably going to be January, get I think. more power to Disney. Exactly. More money to Disney. Well, you know what? They are going to take control of the streaming services world yeah. as well because they're going to undercut Netflix, Amazon Prime. They'll have all of these for movies that you want to watch because of you know the MCU. It all links to the big I'm, movies. I'm it's so sad. Power like, like factory produced films is is a thing now. I'm really sad about that. But mm. <laughs> nonetheless, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nonetheless, now you're going to move on. Yes. to a, a review on your own, aren't you? Mm-hmm. What is it, Shivani? It is Shaun the Sheep, Farmageddon. Ooh. One small step for lamb, one giant leap for lamb kind. <laughs> I'm so happy with that. <laughs> um, okay, so Ardman are back with Sean the Sheep following its first film. Life goes on on Messy Bottom Farm with Sean and his friends getting themselves into trouble. Hungry for something other than sheep nuts. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> they do get, they give them like the, the food. It's food, okay. It's food, yeah. Cool. Was that not clear? <laughs> Sorry. Um, Sean finds himself playing host to a strange and mystical guest. In a quest to get young Lula home, Sean has to put his adventure boots back on with the help of Blitz of the Dog. Meanwhile, back at the farm, the farmer has a new venture in mind. Oblivious to Sean's plan, the whole crew try and evade a UFO-catching robot as well as a new foe who is not all that she seems. Right, so that is uh, rather... Big story going on there. It's it's a great story. <laughs> I'm, I'm there's happy a lot about going this film. on. Yeah, there is a lot going on. Um, the thing is, there's a lot going on, but it's still such a simple, but like compelling story. Like mm. it's one of, it, it's kind of like Paddington in that way. It's such a. Oh, I love Paddington. Paddington was so good. Um, it's just so charming and innocent, and it it really. It's just hilarious as well, like for for adults and children. I think. I mean, it is a family film. Um, yeah. Well, that's what Ardman do best. Really, Ardman are a genius. I, 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 I. When I was thinking about this, I after I came out, I realized I don't think I've seen a stop motion animation film that I haven't liked. Like hmm. I, I was sort of going through them all in my head, and we've got Wallace and Gromit, which is amazing. Chicken Run, Early Man, and then you got the Tim Burton sort of Henry Selleck kind of like. Um, themes like Corpse Bride, Coraline, Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. Um, then there's Wes Anderson, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs, which yeah, are yeah. fantastic yeah, films. Yeah, all brilliant. Um, and then you've got Cuba and the Two Strings, um, which was, I don't know if you've seen that. But no, it's, I haven't actually. Very good. I highly recommend it. Uh, great cast as well. And also that Missing Link came out this year, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I really enjoyed that as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, like All of these films I absolutely loved and they're all stop... Uh, motion animation and I, I'm so impressed with it. So you, you you did say to me earlier that you've actually compared this a little bit more to Abominable. Yes, um, in terms of story because it's it's a similar kind of um, yeah, it's a similar story so like our seemingly normal character everyone's mm. used to Sean the sheep, he's a sheep but you know, he's, he's our character um, finds uh, something mystical and kind of strange that they are initially scared of and then they have to take care of it um and in both films they kind of actually is that a spoiler the whole 
No, it's fine. No, okay. In both films, they um, sort of find that this uh, mystical being is a child. Like it's 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 very it's very in need of help and just wants to go back to its parents, which is so it speaks very well because obviously these films are for children mm. and and that's such a powerful and even for parents that's such a powerful emotive um trope um yeah definitely and then they obviously have to try and get this little little child home um and i i think ultimately Sean Sean Sheep Farmageddon is better than Abominable. I, I haven't. Imp- I haven't seen Shaun the Sheep, but I obviously I, I adored Abominable. I wasn't impressed with it. Like I went into it, I, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't. It it didn't it didn't work. Like it didn't work for me. I think I. I, I see. What, I know. I know what you're saying. There were moments that really took you out of the cinema almost, and yeah. there were some really masterful, brilliant bits with Abominable. Some some of the uh, sort of. Um, magic and the the violin classical music parts like all of those parts that were fantastic but then there were bits in between those that seemed to be lacking in some kind of moving the plot along a little bit the thing is having seen films with a similar theme of a child sort of playing music like Mm. coco oh god um, amazing yeah and like cuba and the two strings which is also Mm. um kind of similar um it yeah it didn't it didn't it didn't live up to those two films, I think. Mm. But Shaun the Sheep, though, what sort of keeps this on it, it keeps you on your toes a little bit? What what made you really come out of this film going, I love that? It's the humour. It's, it's the humour, yeah? It's definitely the humour. And Ardman, they know what they're doing and it's fantastic. Um, every little thing you see in the film, like newspaper headlines, street signs or shop names, it's it's it means something and there's like a, there's a, there's a joke to it. Um, I think there's um, one bit where you see a security guard and he's reading a newspaper and it says the word echo. And then it says it again because it's an echo. <laughs> <laughs> it's simple comedic yeah, humor. Really simple, but it's so, it's so good. But there's things, um, so there's things in there for adults, there's things yeah. in there for children. And then it all just somehow Obviously, combines yeah. together into things a... that children won't notice. Yeah. Only adults are going to notice that. And it's just lovely. Yeah, <laughs> lovely. I really love it. It's really good. It's lovely. <laughs> I I do need to catch this still, um, but I have heard very, very, very good things about it. I mean, critically, uh, it's got ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is huge. Um, no audience scores have been um, put together yet on Rotten Tomatoes, but I would assume that they are going to be very high as well, especially since the critic score is is very high. Um, especially for this type of film. I mean, there's been films that critics have rated high, but audiences haven't enjoyed. But I think this is not going to be one of those. No, no, it's going to be, it, it's going to be high on critics, high on audience, I think. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know how much Abominable got, but I think it might get higher than Abominable in terms of audience. You reckon, should we have a quick look? Let's have a look. So critically, Abominable got 82%. Uh, and audience score gave it, you know, 95%. And I think that's about right, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, critically, it's not going to be higher uh, than Shaun the Sheep, as as you've said, you know. Yeah. The, and we both sort of said that Abominable did have its uh, downsides, mm. um, but I still think it's that's about right for me. I'd say I'd give it about eighty percent as well. But you know, audiences loved it, and I think audiences will love Shaun the Sheep as well. And I think Shaun the Sheep will be higher than I than think Abominable. Shaun the Sheep will be higher, a couple yeah. of percent maybe. I don't know. Yeah, just maybe. a few. I mean, um, there's not a huge gap there, is there? He's no. got ninety seven on critics and. So it can only go 
up, I hope. <laughs> up or the same. I, I don't know. Yeah. Either way, Shivani, I think I'm ready to ask you the question unless yeah. you have more to say about the movie. I think you just need to see it. I need to see it. Okay. Yeah, well, okay, maybe we it. should just say Sean the Sheep from again. And Shivani, is it worth it? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely worth it. And it do- you don't have to see the first one to see this because it, it's just it's a story on its own, like most of the episodes. And you think so. like, you don't need to take children to go and see it. Go and see it. Yeah, uh, you know, if went, you're a grown-up, go and see it as well. I went with my brother. He's 26. So. <laughs> <laughs> you took your brother to see Sean yeah, the Sheep? I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic yeah. oh Shivani thank you for coming in and helping thank me you. review those three films and doing that last one on your own um, and yeah um, hopefully we'll have you back in for doing some more episodes yeah. like this and we've got we've got some great stuff planned as we alluded to at the beginning of this do you want to talk a bit more about that what we've got coming up yeah sure so it's kind of like a little thing like an idea that we just sort of came up with on the fly I suppose um, just having a monthly podcast that review um our favorite films just not 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 necessarily ones in the cinema but just our all-time favorites or ones that we don't feel so strongly like so positively about that might be fun as well um but with very specific themes for each month so um for example if we're starting in january i've got january as Actually, January is on... on I, I, oh, you're I, not sure about January. I'm not sure about January. What about February? That's pretty but, solid. Yeah, let's let's go for February. So February is romance, obviously. 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 Um, and then as it sort of... It's just obvious themes for months, I suppose. Except for when I just looked at the list and March is going to be Keanu Reeves, I think. Oh, yes. <laughs> I can't wait for March then. Um, yeah. So this is going to be throughout the entire 12 months next year, basically. Yeah. Starting in January, we're going to be having these themed discussions mm-hmm. uh, in terms of different genres or different characters or different people or different actors. And yeah, we're basically, so... they all relate to kind of like the months uh, of, well, each month, I guess. I didn't want to put like obvious genres. So I've got um, like just a month of sequels so like our favorite or least favorite sequels um then and i've got like just the theme of the future which could be time travel or any sort of dystopian kind of film um and there'll be yeah. a group of us discussing this as well so it won't Big just be group, two yeah. of us it could be shivani david ranjit uh floss who you guys are going to be meeting later on in this episode floss uh, is great you'll love floss yeah uh so and there's going to be toby as well uh, there's going to be loads yeah there's going to be loads of us doing this so sitting in and having a group discussion about uh, each of these monthly categories <laughs> yeah. I suppose is what they really are I, I, I'd like the idea of bringing maybe our favourite film from this genre and our least favourite film yes. from this genre that might be quite fun because um, I, I like I like talking about films you don't like. <laughs> it's and it's, vice versa. Yes, yeah. I do. I like the same. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to to getting started with that, and that will be starting in January, going forward for the next twelve months. Shivani, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> So it's now time for the fourth review on week 39 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. And I'm joined in the studio with Toby. Toby, hello. Hello, everyone. So, Toby, uh, if you would, just give us a little bit of a background information uh, about yourself. Yeah, I study graphic design and fine arts. And I'm really passionate about movies. That's why I'm really excited to work with you guys. 
I'm also working on a different segment called Film History, and I'm also really excited about that. Yeah, me too. I really can't wait to see the script. Uh, Toby's written the outline of the history behind it so far, and uh, the script is coming along very, very nicely. But today we're going to be reviewing uh, a different movie. Uh, <laughs> Toby's just throwing his hands up in the air. <laughs> uh, so Toby, just tell us a little bit about Zombieland Double Tap. Ten years after the events of the first film, zombie slayers Tallahassee, Columbus, Wichita and Little Rock leave the confines of the White House to travel to Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee. Through comic mayhem that stretches from the White House and through the heartland, these four must face off against the many new kinds of zombies that have evolved since the first movie, as well as some new human survivors. But most of all, they have to face the growing pains of their own snarky, makeshift family. Here's a clip from the movie. Hey, Possum <laughs> Sorry, just you in that chair. I think it would have made a damn fine president. You would have brought a real dignity to the office. You're welcome, America. Welcome to Zombieland. Life is about more than just survival. We were a family. Dysfunctional, sure, but what family isn't? Merry Christmas! What would you like, little girl? I'd really like for you to stop calling me little girl. But do you know what I would like? I don't give a shit what you It felt so good to be on the move again. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Hi, I'm Columbus. Madison. This is Tallahassee. Hey, Paul Blart. Is this your dad? Oh, whoopsie. I forgot the seatbelt rule. Oh, so she knows the rules? I told her just a few of them. 73, and are there more? You're cute. I like it. My sister is gone. She picked up a boy. He's from Berkeley. Berkeley. You don't have weed, do you? Do I look like the type of person that would have weed? I'm sorry. Boom! Yeah. I have nothing against hippies. I just want to beat the shit out of them. We're going to go get her. We ride it, dog. Start talking. You first. Well, my name's Tallahassee. Is it me, or does, does he kind of remind you of... I don't like you. At all. I think you double parked. <laughs> or more perpendicular parked. Hope we don't get a ticket. What is going on here? What? Hello, everyone. Am I hallucinating? I enjoyed that clip that you chose there, Toby, because it pretty much sums up the entire film for our listeners. Um, so... To kickstart this review, we'll say that this is directed again by Ruben Fleischer, who directed the uh, first Zombieland movie uh, to great critical acclaim. Um, and it reunites Woody Harlson, Jesse Eisenberg, Emma Stone, Abigail Breslin, all back uh, are back to reprise their characters again. Um, I'll kick straight off with saying that I, I really enjoyed this, actually. Um, I enjoyed the first Zombieland probably more, but... Nonetheless, I thought this was a really solid film. Um, Toby, what did you think? Yeah, I have to agree with you, Craig. The first Zombieland is more of a classic, I think, for most people. But I really enjoyed this one as well. I think what we can take from this movie, first of all, from what we both are saying, what we enjoyed about it, I suppose. So performance-wise, we'll start off with that. The four main characters are back, so with Woody Harrelson, Woody Harrelson, get the bloody name right, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Emma Stone, Abigail Breslin. The standout performances for me is Jesse Eisenberg and, and Woody Harrelson, and I think that's because of the way it's written. 
Um, you looked up who 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 wrote it. It was guys from Deadpool, wasn't it? Yeah, it was um, uh, Red Reese and Paul Wernick. Uh, so they they were the Deadpool guys, um, and they wrote the original Zombieland as well. And it feels like they've expanded on the characters um, of Tallahassee and Columbus, but they've sort of neglected Emma Stone's character a little bit, and they've certainly sidelined Abigail Breslin's character, Little Rock, um, massively. Would you agree with that? Yeah, they definitely focus more on uh, Tallahassee and, uh, what's his name, Columbus. <laughs> yeah, And they kind of kept um, Abigail Breslin's character as a plot device, basically, which... I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I kind of like her character in the first film. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really liked her character in the first film as well. And she was certainly much younger uh, during that film. And she's aged considerably in this for this film, but it has been a long time coming, this film. Um, but what was the reason for that? It's been in yeah, pre-production for a while, wasn't from it? From what I read, it was like caught in pre-production for like seven years. That's a and long time to be in pre-production for a film. Yeah, and they just started producing it last year and they filmed it this year at the beginning so basically they had to do everything in just a few months so yeah that's, that's actually a very quick turnaround in terms of of uh, shooting but all that time in pre-production would have mean you would have thought that they would have a, a very solid script now the film in 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 some respects is is solid um from an enjoyable entertaining point of view but from if you look at it in a critical way and try and compare it to the first film it doesn't hold up quite as well is that would would you agree with that in yeah i do i mean it's not a classic the first one is a classic but this one i think they kind of changed the themes of the movie the first one was basically about the small things you enjoy in life this one is more about family and just them being a bit of a dysfunctional family Mm. Yes, and we see that when they move into the White House. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think one of the main things that I took from this film is that it's a much bigger world now. Um, From the first film, it felt like a much smaller community of people coming together and having to survive an apocalypse, in a sense. And this one, it feels a lot bigger, but with a lot less characters in a way. Does that make much sense to you? It doesn't, does it? You're yeah, looking at me I like, know what you mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I know what you mean because uh, so you have these characters who live together and the movie is basically mostly focused on them. And even though they added more characters, the world still feels small. Yeah, it's, it's strange, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it's hard to describe how that actually feels. But they did introduce a new character, didn't they? One that I think both of us really enjoyed. Yeah, so the new character is played by Zoe Deutsch. And she's basically meant to play a very stereotypical, annoying character. And she plays it really well. She really knows how to keep the balance between annoying and entertaining and fun. It's a, it's a fine line, I'll give you that. But it was actually a, a breath of fresh air to the Zombieland uh, um, film, to be honest with you. It it was different. It, it needed it, for sure. Um, but I kind of wanted her to die. Is that a plot? Is that... Is that a spoiler? It's not a spoiler, is it? No, it's not. A it's spoiler. not a spoiler. It's definitely not a spoiler. Um, I do. I think this is worth seeing in the cinema. Though. I'm contemplating this at the minute. Unless you've got anything else you wanted to say about the movie before we rounded it up. I think it's worth seeing it for the diehard fans of the movie, or if you just want to see something really fun 
basically just a popcorn flick. It is it is a popcorn and chill kind of film that you you would go to the cinema to see if there's nothing else on but I feel like there's actually quite a fair amount on at the cinema that you could see that other than Zombieland double tap to be honest with you. True, I agree with you, but there aren't many good time movies that I've seen this year to be honest. So Oh, really? Yeah. What's Book Smart out this year? I haven't seen that one, unfortunately. Yeah, Ranjit's in the studio as well, and he's nodding. He's going, yes. <laughs> Booksmart was probably one of those good coming-of-age, feel-good films that, that was fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you the question, Toby. I think, I think we're done with the review. So, Toby, Zombieland Double Tap, is it worth it? Yeah, it's, it's worth seeing it. So, you, you think it's worth seeing? I'm going to say yes as well. <laughs> <laughs> on the edge of your seat there. Uh, yeah, I think Zombieland Double Tap is definitely worth seeing in the cinema. It, it has a lot of laughs. It has a lot of um, themes that play on on family ties and stuff. And I think for those of you who haven't seen the first one, I think it will be entertaining, entertaining to watch for those reasons. But if you haven't seen the first one, I'm going to say go and watch that first before you go and see it. It will help you understand the characters and where they've come from because a lot of the characters have evolved in some ways. Um, even the zombies have evolved. They've evolved into some kind of weird set of different types of zombies. And actually, the opening scene was quite humorous in that respect. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go and see it. Yeah, and also some of the action scenes are really well choreographed. Very well, well directed. Yeah, I mean, the opening scene um, feels like they've thrown a lot of money at this production, actually, because it's it's all shot in slow motion and it was really entertaining, but a little bit over the top for the zombie lands film if you know what i mean so the first one it wouldn't have had that sort of thing in there at all and this one it's like yes let's throw some money out here let's do it and uh this one kind of felt it did feel a little bit over the top but we do get back to the roots of what the first made the first one better i think so yeah so yeah uh zombie land double tap is certainly worth seeing in the cinema and uh we're going to move straight on to doing the next review uh toby and i and the next one is dr sleep uh so if you're wondering what this film is about i have written a lovely synopsis for you uh and it says in 1977 stephen king published the shining a horror novel that was famously adapted by stanley kubrick into a movie of the same name now 39 years later uh, an adaptation of king's follow-up novel dr sleep has arrived and it follows danny torrance played by McGregor as the alcoholic drug abusing son of Jack Torrance hardened by a horrific past Danny finds himself telepathically connecting with Abra a young girl who shines brightly Uh, let's take a little listen to a clip when I was a kid there was a place a dark place they closed it down and let it rot. But the things that live there. They come back. Not many ride the bus this far north. You're running away from something. For myself, I guess. Hi. You can hear me. You're magic. Like me. I don't know about magic. I always called it the shining. 
world is a hungry place, a dangerous place. These people. I I really like that trailer clip thing that I selected there, simply because. It has a lot of dialogue in it, and for our lovely listeners um, who do not know anything about Doctor Sleep, it gives a fair bit away about the story, but that's good. Um, I think it's a very difficult story if you haven't seen The Shining. Now, how many years ago um, did Stephen King bring out uh, The Shining? Well, that was, as I said, about 39 years ago when, yeah, about 1977 when that was published, so... In uh, uh, yeah, 39 years ago uh, was The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, and King famously hated that adaptation of of that. Um, however, everybody loves The Shining. You love The Shining, Toby, don't you? I do. It's yeah. one of my favourite horror films. And this, in comparison to Doctor Sleep, is very different. The differences here are that The Shining is more of a haunted house kind of horror kind of film um dr sleep would you say it's more of a character study yeah it's very similar to mike flanagan's last year the haunting of hill house yes so it's a very character driven movie so mike is the director of this film he's also adapted the script uh with king and the haunting of hill house i thought was phenomenal on netflix really well written really well directed and the cinematography cinematography in that series was brilliant as well and we we get the same feeling uh from uh the haunting of hill house and it sort of moved into doctor sleep obviously the characters are very different but you get that real sense of building uh, a kinship with those characters and understanding their motives behind things and understanding uh, a lot about them rather than where the plot is taking you. And I like that about these sort of films. And I, for, for a film that's two hours, 39 minutes-ish, if not a bit more than that, it was still very engaging throughout the entire process. I wasn't bored at any point. I don't know about yourself, but I found myself not being bored. I must agree with you, Craig. The pacing is very well done. In most horror films, what affects the pacing is the character development, and I think that's what makes up for the pacing in this movie. Yeah, de- no, definitely. I think the pace with this movie has done it's done incredibly well with the character development and it, it those two f- things sort of intertwine a, a lot and the shining uh was very different in in those respects it didn't have so much character development now stephen king is obviously i think i've said that earlier on i don't I can't even remember now but he was famously disliked the shining and i think one of those reasons is because it didn't build upon his character that much in terms of the way that he wanted it to be portrayed is that is that true? Yeah, that's true. That's like the main reason why he hates the movie. His version of Jack Torrance was basically a, this man who was actually a loving father and a husband. Yeah. But he slowly descends into madness at the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. Whereabouts uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick's version is just a very family alienated person. He doesn't really like his family. Yeah. He's very distant with his son and his wife. But it's kind of understandable because you you have this 400-page book and you do have enough space to 
Well, you've got you've got a lot of material, yeah, yeah, and it's trying to consolidate that material down into a feature length film. And I think, yeah, I think Kubrick maybe took part of the novel and didn't put the the Jack that King wanted to see on screen. But essentially, yeah. However, King has gone on Twitter. Yes, Twitter. He hasn't gone on record in a newspaper. This is now, King's now moved into the 21st century. Uh, and he said, Mike Flanagan is a talented director, and uh, but he's also an excellent storyteller. The movie is a good thing. You'll like this if you like The Shining, but you'll also like it if you liked Shawshank. It's immersive. And I, I agree with him. I think it's taken the elements of Shawshank in terms of the character building uh, elements of it but it's also incorporated the things that we really liked about The Shining um, and those elements were some of the visual things that happened in The Shining which we don't want to give anything away but it was some really good stuff that happened in there it it harks back to some of the stuff that happened in The Shining it connects with the past in a really unique way and yeah it's it's done very very well now you probably didn't want to talk about this that much but you did attempt to read the novel didn't you yeah i did try to to read doctor sleep but my only issue with the novel was it wasn't the writing or the pace it was actually the story i felt like after reading so many stephen king novels it was a bit too familiar for me there's so many stephen king novels isn't there i mean you said there were elements of Carrie in there. Yeah. What else was there? Was there any other ones that you can remember off the top of your head? But... Well, it's a bit similar to Shawshank Redemption. There is the element of redemption. Well, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not a plot spoiler, by the way. The, the, the entire film is kind of about redemption. And I really like that, to be honest with you. It, it needed to be about redemption anyway, even though it is taking that trope from Shawshank Redemption, obviously. Um it needed to be about that, and you know, it is. It's, a time has passed significantly within within this film. So, how do you carry on a story that's passed that long? I mean, Stephen King famously waited a long time to put out the next novel as well, and the film is 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 similar. And how do you follow Kubrick as well? It, you know, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult. And I think Mike Flanagan's done a really, really, really good job with this movie. I think we should talk about the acting. Ewan McGregor um, and Rebecca uh, Ferguson are two of the main protagonists in this film. And I think you really like Rebecca Ferguson, it's, it's fair to yeah. say. Yeah, considering her character doesn't have too much backstory, her character is really fascinating as a villain, mostly because of her acting skills. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, she seems to be somebody who always gets left in the background uh, from previous films. Uh, You know, the um, greatest showman, I thought she was really good in that. But people don't seem to know who she is. And I think after this, they really should know who she is because she is a phenomenal actress. Really, really is good. Um, And in this one, like you said, it's not she's one of the characters that doesn't have that backstory. But at the same time, it plays out. In real time, I guess, her character, I suppose. And uh, I think it's done in a really un- unique way. The, the rest of her cult that, she, that are with her, though, I feel like perhaps they neglected to expand on their characters a little bit. And it almost felt almost a little... I just, just, Yeah, it just didn't feel right that they weren't explored as much as her character was. Did you, did you get what I'm saying with that? Yeah, I know what you mean. But I think the story in the movie, it's more about her 
end this cult. So they're just there to help her. Yeah, but I, I, from what I'm led to believe, they were they were explored a lot more in the, in the novel, and I feel like as well that they were some interesting characters there, and I would have liked to seen a bit more about them and how that they how they came to be. I mean, one of the scenes that happened within the film, one of the characters is um, I don't really want to say because it, it will spoil it, but she says a few things about him. At a, pivotal moment in, in in this scene and I was really intrigued by that character I wanted to know more about that character um I'm you're looking at me as like you're not quite sure what I'm referring to and I probably will tell you later but I thought that was a really interesting scene and it could have been explored a little bit more or his character could have been explored a bit more um but Ewan McGregor's character then let's talk about him a little bit so Danny is uh, a recovered or recovering alcoholic. Uh, he's also a drug abuser. Um, and he's almost used that in, in a way to, to suppress his abilities in a way. Um, so from The Shining, you learn that he has powers, I suppose. Would you say that's right? He, he shines, he yeah. calls it. Um, and these shining abilities, is a, it allows him to connect with... Ghosts or paranormal things? It's basically like a sixth sense. So it's like a telekinetic kind of ability. So everyone has the shining, but some of us have it in a greater amount than others. Yeah, so we heard it from the clip, didn't we? So some people are able to sense when somebody's upset and they'll bring them flowers. That's a little bit of the shining going on. But others, they have these abilities that can go far beyond the reaches of, you know, uh, picking up a phone, it's they're talking through their minds. It's amazing. It's it's telekinetic abilities, and uh, McGregor is able to channel that in a way that I think is really well done. However, he does sort of feel like a character he's played before. Who is that character? <laughs> you go on, say it. Well, it's obvious. It's um, it, he's very uh, similar to his character from Train Spotting. <laughs> it is. It's Renton, isn't it? It's it yeah. is him. But thankfully, he doesn't progress throughout the film and become the character that you want to see. He doesn't. He doesn't fall into that similar character that we've seen before. It did remind me of a uh, the Train Spotting sequel, and um, which was a good film, actually. A very good film, yeah. actually. Yeah, actually, yeah. Good point. Oh, so maybe he is just playing Renton. I mean, the way Stephen King developed him in the novel, it's so similar to Renton in Train Spotting. So he might have been inspired by that. So. That could be that. Then he was probably cast because of that as well. If that's probably the case. Nonetheless, I think it was a very good performance, and uh, I think the other performances within within the film are are very good. Notably, the 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 young girl who plays Abra as well. I think she was really strong actually, uh, and especially since she's playing up against some really great talented actors such as McGregor and and Ferguson. Um, one scene in particular, like almost like a dream sequence, um, where they're in someone's mind. I won't say much more than that. I thought that played out really, really well. It's a really strong scene with uh, with Abba in there and, and Ferguson as well. It's it's now hard to progress to where we go with this film because we don't want to spoil it. And there are spoilers that you could talk about all day long. Um, instead, I think maybe we could just say whether or not it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah? Okay, so Toby... Doctor Sleep, is it worth it for you? Yeah, I think it's worth it. I mean, 
it's not a sequel in a traditional sense. It's more of another Danny Torrance story because it's so different from The Shining in genre. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I think... I, I I believe this is definitely worth going to see. I would r- strongly recommend you do watch The Shining before, just so you have an introduction to, to Danny's character before the the stuff that happens in The Shining, uh, stuff that happens in Doctor Sleep, sorry. Um, but you also get a little bit of a flashback, I suppose, straight after the events of The Shining within Doctor Sleep, which does explain a little bit more. But you, I think you do need to watch... The Shining, to some extent, just so you can pick up on some of the loose ends that you will have in Doctor Sleep, um, and it is a it, it it's a really brilliant film to see in the cinema. It's cinematically a good film to see in, in in the cinema. You know, Shawshank Redemption famously did very badly at the cinema, and then afterwards became a, a massive cult classic. This one, I think, might be different. I think it will do very well in the cinema, or well in the cinema, or better in the cinema than Shawshank. But I don't think it it will make number one. I think Joker's going to outpace it completely. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So, <laughs> Toby, thank you very much for joining us on uh, this week's episode. It's been a real pleasure having you in the studio. Keep up all the good work with the graphic design stuff. And I'm really looking forward to doing the um, other production that we're going to have coming up that we spoke about earlier with the uh, top 10 films of each decade, which uh, you're currently writing and penning at the minute and we'll be recording fairly soon so thank you very much cheers (laughs) Uh, so ranjit is here ranjit hello hello it's been a while hasn't it yeah it has been (laughs) <laughs> we pretend you've been yeah. here for a while <laughs> um so ranji is here to do the terminator dark fate review with uh myself and toby's still here toby you're going to be chiming in every now and then to with some points about the film as well uh but ranji would you like to kick off uh this review with a synopsis so in mexico city a newly modified liquid terminator the rev 9 model arrives from the future to kill a young factory worker named danny ramos also sent back in time is grace a hybrid cyborg human who must protect Ramos from the seemingly indestructible robotic assassin. But the two women soon find some much-needed help from a pair of unexpected allies, seasoned warrior Sarah Connor and the T-800 Terminator. Let's take a listen to a clip from the movie. My name is Sarah Connor. When I was about her age, a Terminator was sent to kill me to stop the birth of my son, John, leader of the resistance. We changed the future, saved three billion lives. <laughs> You're welcome. So I think that's a really good clip that you've uh, chosen there, simply because I think most of the other clips were all smash and bang ones, yeah. weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what did we think of this movie to begin with? Um, I might go in and say straight away that I actually really enjoyed the film. Yeah. Surprisingly so, because from the trailers, I was a bit hesitant, mainly because I really enjoyed the first two films that yeah. was released um, many years ago and the follow-up ones after that I wasn't so keen on. Yeah. Um, would it be right in thinking that you guys might have thought the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think we've been burned with Terminator sequels. Like, you know, uh, Genesis was awful, in my opinion. Um, and 
the trailers for this film didn't really do much for me, but um, you know, the reviews started coming out and people were saying it's actually it's actually worthy sequels. Uh probably the best well, it was the best it is the best since T two. Um and yeah, um so this is directed by Tim Miller, um, of Deadpool Fame. Um it brings back Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, Arnold Schwarzenegger is back as the Terminator. But this time we have Mackenzie Davis, who plays sort of a hybrid Terminator. Um, she's human and enhanced, she says in the film. Enhanced, a bit like Idris Elba from the Fast and Furious yeah. <laughs> uh, film from the other week, yeah. the other month or whenever it was. I'd love to see them two go to, to That would be to, hilarious. Yeah, it's a good spin-off. <laughs> Actually, they probably will eventually do that. You yeah. Know, Fast and Furious 15 yeah. down the line. Um, but Mackenzie Davis... Um, a fantastic actress. Yeah. Uh, the last the film, film that I saw her in was Tully. Um, <laughs> and I really, really, really love Tully. And um, this is a real U-turn in terms of what she did in that film compared to this one. And she's a real action hero in yeah. this one. And a really, really good one at that. Like it, the, What I was really worried about with this film was that it was going to be a bit preachy mm. in terms of... You know, pushing uh, the female aspect yeah. down a lot of our throats because it's, you know, since the... That sounds really wrong, but since the Me Too movement, it, there's been a lot of films that have come out that are trying to have more female leads in it. And this feels like the first one that's come out that, you know, you don't really need to look at that aspect yeah. of the film. It It's right. This, yeah. is, this is how it yeah. should be. It, there's no problem with that whatsoever. It's well written. Yeah. The dialogue is really good in that respect. And I think also the story is not bad as well. I mean, there are certain aspects of it that were slightly weak, but I found it to be a really good Terminator film. I completely agree. I think, I think the Terminator franchise has always been Sarah Connor's story. So I think... You know, they, they they do something really sort of out there at the start of the film. And I think it really worked for this film because, again, the, t- the title is Dark Fate and it's all about what fate actually means. I also want to mention uh, Gabrielle Luna as the Rev9 model. I thought he was incredible in this film. I think he is, he's really quite, he can be quite scary at some points, but then he also has like a really nice charm to him. Yeah, I I was a little bit taken aback by his character simply because... He was so robotic. Yeah. He was he he was a Terminator. Yeah. He he wasn't the Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of Terminator. That kind of felt a bit charismatic, even though he was a robot. Yeah. He still had that emotional side to it. Yeah. Gabrielle, his character didn't have that. He didn't have the same emotional abilities as Arnold Schwarzenegger's mm. character, even from the first Terminator film. He he did it way better, yeah, and was scary as yeah. well. Like, he was menacing, like they were, you know, he's, it, it really you really do feel like there's a there's a lot at stake here when he's when he's running after you or the you know the highway scenes or the prison scenes. Like he's brilliant. He plays the role really well. It sort of does, uh, you know, remind me of Robert Patrick as the uh, I think it was the T one thousand in T two, um, but yeah, because Robert Patrick still had that that menace, but he also had the charm as well. Yeah. And Gabriel Luna does, does the same, and, and I think he plays the role really well. But for me, the standout is Mackenzie Davis. Um, I've only ever seen her in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. This is the other, this is the only other film I've seen her in. But I think she's the standout of this film. So you haven't seen Tully? I haven't seen Tully. No. Definitely worth watching that, and I yeah. think it's actually available on Now TV. But you should know that because you are yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mister Cinema at home. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we should probably uh, mention uh, Natalia. 
Reyes. Is that how you say her name? Natal- Natalia Reyes, I believe. Yeah. Reyes, there we yeah. go. Um, she plays Danny Ramos, um, who is our sort of the main protagonist within hmm. the film. Um, everything sort of revolves around her. How do you think that played out? So I feel like it was sort of forced down our throats a bit that she had. You know, there's a line in the film where Sarah Connor says she is me, and I think it just—it just—I didn't feel I wasn't compelled. I don't—I don't know what it is. I just wasn't convinced by her. And then there's a scene again with with Danny Ramos in, you know, in the future. I don't want to say too much. There's a scene of her in the future, and for me, that scene did not work at all. It just—I it, just wasn't convinced that this—you know—this person is who they're telling me she is. It did feel a little bit anticlimactic. Yeah, that scene. It, she didn't evolve into the character that we were expecting to see in that scene that yeah. you're referring to. And obviously I don't want to spoil it too yeah. much, but it did feel like um, a bit of a sideways move rather than a progressive move. Yeah, I think I felt like that also with the reason for the Terminators coming back from the back from the future. I felt it was just... Back to the future. Back, <laughs> I felt it was just a bit of a weak reason for them to be back. I like have the, We've seen that reason before. I wanted something else. I wanted a new twist to it. I don't, I don't know what, but it's just I felt like the Terminator's coming back to kill Danny Ramos for that reason was a bit weak for me. Yeah, it's it's essentially the first film yeah. again in, in that respect, isn't yeah. it? They've rebooted it and they're using the same premise to give them the, another film, really. Yeah. And that, yeah, I guess that does make it a bit weak. Toby, you're looking at me. Do you have something you want to say? You want, um, it looks like you do. Yeah, I do. So I really like this film. I'm a really huge fan of the franchise, especially the second two. Actually, the only, the only. You only ones. count yeah. Terminate 1 and 2. Yeah, 1 and 2. And nothing <laughs> happens after exist. that. <laughs> Although there's some interesting stuff going on in Salvation, but I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> so... This movie is basically like a tribute to the first two. Yeah. Even though they they added some twists. Mm. And one thing I didn't like is something that happens in the beginning. And it's a spoiler. I'm not going to say anything about it. It's something that happens to a character. And I think from a storytelling point of view, it's lazy writing. <laughs> I, I know what you're referring to and I yeah. I do agree actually um, we spoke about it a little bit earlier and I think it's a bit of a cop out and it is really lazy writing and it's what, what they've done there is is done that so that it gives them a plot device essentially to give a character a her motives essentially and that's that's all I think I can say about it but it, it is a bit of a cop out and the more I think about it the more it does seem lazy. But what makes this film good is the kick-ass action yeah. uh, that uh, Mackenzie Davis brings to the table. It it has, you know, everything from the old movies that you wanted to see rebooted in a new sort of environment. Yeah, you've got the, the highway chase again. You've got the helicopter chases from T2. Like it's, Mackenzie Davis is brilliant as when in, in the fight scenes, her and Gabrielle Luna. They, they, work, they work well off each other really well. And she really... You know, you really believe she is yeah. that cyborg, you know, an enhanced human being. Yeah. You know, I you kind of got that from. I, I will refer back to Idris Elba in in the Fast and Furious film when he he was a, a, a cyborg as well, and you kind of didn't get that from that. It it was it felt fake, but 
her, Mackenzie Davis, as a cyborg, I actually really believed it because of the way she was throwing stuff yeah. and the way she was landing those punches. Yeah. It was Swinging really believable. Swinging sledgehammers and stuff. It exactly. Was brilliant. It yeah. was really, really entertaining. And yeah, and yeah I, I really loved it. I really did. I also wanted to mention that this film is set to lose over $120 million. It's going to be a really? big flop. Yeah. So this film hasn't done well worldwide or in in the US. Over here, it's just, I believe it's only made over about £5 million since it's been out. So it's not doing well. And I'm just wondering, this was meant to start off a new trilogy. And obviously, I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. Do you think this is the end for the Terminator franchise? or I, I don't think it's going to be the end for the Terminator, Term, Terminator franchise. I think there's a lot of dedicated fans out there who, are, who will still love to see movies. Yeah. They've obviously got something wrong. Yeah. Something wrong that's not bringing the new audiences to go and see it. And it's the younger yeah. generation that w- will want to go and see it. I'm not sure what it is that they've done wrong, though. That's the thing. I don't I don't know if there's necessarily something wrong with this film. I think it's the fact that we've had so many bad sequels already and this was the nail in the coffin and people aren't going to come back anymore. I think the damage is done. But this is good. But this is They all need to listen to this podcast. Yeah, and then they'll that's go the thing. That's the thing. I think the casual movie fan isn't, isn't aware that this is good. They just think it's another bad Terminator sequel, so they're not going to bother this time because they've been burnt too many times. Mm. I think that's what it is. Paul James Cameron. Yeah. And he's a producer on it as well. Actually. Yeah, yeah. He was more heavily involved in this one than he was with the others. And this one had a massive budget as well. So I think that's also where the issue lies. I feel mm. like Terminator works better with a smaller budget. David and I say all the time that if you throw a lot of money at a film, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to do yeah, very well. Absolutely. And there are... There's a, there's a film coming out, Dune. Yeah. You guys, I'm sure you've yeah. all heard of Dune. Incredible if, cast. If, incredible cast. But the, the previous film, so the, the, this is it's being rebooted now, yeah. is uh, the first one. I loved the first film. Um, this one is being made, uh, to quote Rebecca Ferguson, it's being made as, as although it's an independent movie, but with a Hollywood budget. Mm. That combination, to me, sounds very, very exciting because I want to see a film that's made with the intellectual knowledge of an independent filmmaker who's yeah. not got much money but has the money to make something but look outstanding. We've seen that before with the same director for Blade Runner 2049. That I believe that, you know, I, I think that was an independent film with a Hollywood budget and again, that didn't do well uh, commercially. That did really bad commercially. But, uh, but does that matter? That's the thing. That's the point that I want to make here though. Yeah. For people like us, yeah. we love... We love it. We like the Terminator yeah. film. Tw- uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Loved Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah, my favorite that year. Yeah, I loved it. Was, it. Well, yeah, was it the fa- your favorite film of that year? Yeah. You were going to say, well, yeah. isn't it? Toby, you liked Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh, didn't I you? absolutely love it. Yeah. it's also my favorite uh, film of the year, and uh, it's also one of the best sequels I've ever seen because it uses the original film and improves it so much in every way possible. Mm. Yeah. I think Denis Villeneuve is an absolute genius. The the cinematography as well, yeah, outstanding. And I think it's gonna be Dune is gonna be something on par with Blade Runner. Yeah. But what I'm hoping is that there's gonna be a, there's a lot more people who might be willing to go and see it because they don't know what it is. So yeah, obviously with, with Blade Runner, they know what mm. that was. So there's going to be an, a certain segment of the audience or uh, people that go to the cinema that aren't going to see it because oh, I know what Blade Runner is. I don't. I can't be bothered with that. 
there'd be a lot of people who loved Blade Runner and, and went to go and see Blade Runner 2049 because they knew what to expect from it yeah. in some respects. It's the same with the Terminator films. Terminator fans are going to go and see the Terminator films that come out because they love Terminator, yeah. but there's a certain set of audiences who have seen it all before and that's why they haven't gone. Yeah. So I suppose you're right in that sense with June. Yeah. It's a certain set of audiences, uh, a big set of audiences who haven't seen the first one, they haven't read the book, don't know anything about it, and might be enticed by the trailer. I think that might Possibly, happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope so, because I think it was a really great story. Yeah. I think if they do carry on Terminator, they need to make films with a much smaller budget or maybe a TV show. I mean, they could do something on Netflix maybe or Prime. I think that would be an interesting way to do it. You know what? I don't even think Netflix is, is going to be around much longer to be honest with you yeah no seriously amazon yeah uh doing really well apple's now out disney yeah. plus is coming soon yeah. i think it's on its way out yeah possibly yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should know all about it Ranji. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay i think we're ready to ask questions now uh so ranjit terminator dark fate is it worth it i think it is worth it i think it's a great spectacle great action great cgi um a good a good bow on the trilogy, I think. It wraps up the the first two films well. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to say it's worth it. Yeah, I think it's worth watching in the cinema as well. I think, as you said, it wraps it up very well. But also, I think it leaves it open for something else. And I would very much so like to see if they can bring back uh, Mackenzie uh, Davis's character. If they can, if they can't, I don't know. That might be a massive spoiler. It might not be. <laughs> I hope it isn't. <laughs> Either way, I've, I really, really liked it. And I hope that I do get to see some more, maybe following some of the same characters um, in the film uh, Toby for you yeah I do think it's, a, it's worth it uh, I also think it's a, a good way to end the trilogy even though it doesn't feel like it's part of the main trilogy mm. it's more like it's part of a new franchise yeah, yeah it's a good by film. the end of it you definitely feel like it's it's part of something new going yeah. forward yeah. yeah definitely I just don't know if we'll ever see it now no yeah. so that was our review of Terminator Dark Fate The next two reviews that we've got coming up is uh, with Mr. David Long. Welcome to the studio, David. Oh, hello. Yes, it's good <laughs> to be here on this bonus, exciting episode. With... Oh, it's not really a bonus. It's week 39, but done in an extraordinary way. Mm, in <laughs> like a we've very never extraordinary way. Um, uh, what we might have to just mention, it is October the 31st. It is Halloween. And for some reason, people are setting off fireworks. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, so it's not that unusual, but if you've got dogs, it's it's a bit of a which you do. Yes, it's a bit of a pain, isn't it? Because those poor dogs don't like fireworks. No, especially uh, Sainsbury's, Ralph. for example, don't sell fireworks anymore. They're becoming a bit of a, th- a thing of the past. I must say, Good. I can see them in five, ten years' time not even existing. They certainly aren't as big and as popular as they used to be. I mean, they are infringing on our recording session because every couple of moments they, they could potentially I mean, at the end of the day, we're celebrating the fact that Guy Fawkes didn't blow up Parliament. Part of me wishes that Guy Fawkes had blown up but Parliament. But that's November. Yeah, I know, but I, I'm just saying... Today's I, the 31st. Yes, but I'm just saying I wish that perhaps Guy Fawkes had blown up Parliament with this... Well, yes, a general election, Craig! Oh, no. Oh, we're not going to talk too much about politics. We will talk a bit about politics in our second review. Um, but we won't talk too much about politics now, other than the fact that there's going to be another general election. I can't believe it. Oh, um, but en- enough about that. Shall we 
dive into the first review, which I'm going to be doing on my own. Yes. Uh, and it is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. What's this film about? Well, firstly, it's a love letter to San Francisco. And secondly, it's a character study focusing mainly on the themes of identity and belonging. Our protagonist is Jimmy Fails. Uh, Jimmy dreams of reclaiming the Victorian home his grandfather built in the heart of San Francisco and joined by his best friend, Mont. They go on this quest to try and reclaim it. Both Jimmy and Mont try to reclaim this house, but also search for belonging um, in a rapidly changing city that seems to have forgotten them and left them behind. I went into this film completely blind, Craig. I, ha- I hadn't looked at any Rotten Tomato scores. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen a trailer. I didn't even know what um, the film was about. And the first thing I'll say is the film starts with this really captivating opening shot with a child, basically a young black child, staring into the face of a city worker who's dressed in like a hazmat suit. Um, and much of the film is actually set in the Bayview Hunters Point area of San Francisco, which actually is a former site of a naval radiological defence laboratory that, according to the filmmakers, and the filmmakers make this very obvious, has contaminated this area of San Francisco, um, especially the water. Yeah. Um, and the film really opens up with a precedent for how it's going to continue, this idea of us versus them, of rich versus poor, um, of black versus white, you might even say. Um, and what yeah. we have is we have this street preacher who's standing on like a milk crate and he's he's preaching the word and he's saying, look at this terrible <laughs> pollution and how come they have hazmat suits and we don't? And he and he's basically saying, look, look at the privilege they have and look mm. at the poverty that we're in. And it's just a very striking opening. It has a very dramatic score um, which features throughout the film. Uh, and that's when we're introduced to our two main characters who are basically waiting at a bus stop opposite this guy who's preaching. Um, and I won't say what they say, but they say quite a few funny comments about this guy and what's led him to behave in this way. Um, and both of them basically decide that then they're not going to wait for this bus. It's taking too long and perhaps they're sick of hearing this guy um, preach who regularly preaches throughout the film. He's, he's quite a lovable character in the sense that every day he goes there at the crack of dawn to preach his message. So they decide to skateboard instead, but both of them skate on this same board and it's really a, a wonderfully amazing shot because I've never seen two people on a, on one skateboard skate with such great ability. Mm. This is the one scene that I believe that I have seen. Yeah. Uh, looking for a clip for this film. Yeah. But it was the entire opening almost. Yes, it is. It is the first two or three minutes. And yes. you see them going through San Francisco. I've been. It's a beautiful city. Very, very hilly. Mm. So if you can get to the top of a hill and you've got a skateboard, you're, you're, you're sorted. And it reminded me a lot of Skate Kitchen, a lot of drone shots and following them. And it also shows the friendship they have and the trust they have that they're willing to to skateboard together. And you're probably thinking, well, where are they going? Well, they go to this beautiful old house, um, which they start to carry out maintenance work on. Uh, and the strange thing is, is that somebody actually lives in there. So they're there sort of tapping nails away, painting, weeding, and doing all this gardening work. And actually, that someone is living in there and they come out and they're like, basically go away. What are you doing? Um, And it's because our main protagonist, um, Jimmy, who works in a nursing home, that's his old grandfather's house. And he's really attached to this and he wants to see it maintained. Um, 
and looked after. He's actually played by the real-life Jimmy Fails, who is also the uh, co-writer uh, in a fictionalised version of his own uh, story. He's got uh, this obsession with this uh, old family home. Uh, and the film's really about finding an identity in a city that seems to marginalise its poorer residents. Um, and what comes to pass, without giving too much of the story away, is that the current residents um, have to move out of the house. Someone, it's not made 100% clear who, but someone seems to pass away and there's a legal dis- uh, dispute about who the house actually belongs to. Uh, and this allows our two main protagonists to actually move into the house. Mm. Um, and what they do is they gather um, lots of his old, lots of his old, um, his grandfather's old belongings, which have been kept in another. Oh, blimey, just choked on my own tongue. Um, <laughs> Not again. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> we'll keep that in because people might find it amusing. Um, they gather a lot of these old grandfather's stuff and they and they move into this house. And it's this really sort of heartbreaking tale about identity and finding a place to be home. Um, there's themes of homelessness in there. Um, it's one of the hardest reviews I've had to do in a long, long time because there's so much meat on the bone, but it's very, very difficult to put into words because it's a film where lots happens, but not actually very much happens. Um, and, and that's the, one of the problems with the film. Mm. Um, it's not a slow burner. I would, I would describe it as a no burner for the first 30 minutes. It's, it's painfully slow. You have this fantastic striking, striking opening where you, you immediately like, wow, this is clearly a talented director who's got a clear vision. It's got a good script. It's got great acting, but not actually a lot happens in that, in that first 30 to 45 minutes. Um, but what I would say to people is stick with it. Um, because that slow burn suddenly ignites into a fire mm. and the film really, really um, does get going and it turns into this wonderful um, social commentary. It's a really poetic and picturesque film. The way they capture San Francisco is absolutely um, beautiful and it's really about this desire for belonging and the human necessity to have a place called home. It's very deep, it's very touching um, and it got me choked up a bit, actually. And believe it or not, this is actually a directorial debut for Joe Talbot, who I just think has... He's an, a future award-winning director, I think. You you know, the direction's great. The cinematography's brilliant. Jimmy Fails gives a great performance. But Jonathan Majors, um, who's our other main protagonist in this film, I think there could be a bit of Oscar buzz around around this performance. It wouldn't surprise me. I don't think he will be nominated in the Best Supporting Actor category, but if he was, it wouldn't surprise me. I thought he mm. was sensational in this. Question. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first opening 30 minutes that you said was quite slow, not much happens. Was that maybe more of an establishing 30 minutes where it's sort of more establishing not who the characters are, maybe, um, but more about what San Francisco is like and how it's developed into how it's become yeah. that sort of place. Because from, from a sense from watching the trailer, I, I get that's what maybe that first 30 minutes was about, really. Yeah, I mean, there is a little bit of character development, but it is really setting the scene. Um, so I enjoyed it. I'm just saying for your average film goer, they might think, blimey, not a lot's happening here. Visually, mm. it's very impressive. You've got the great score. The, the script that you do have is very, very solid. But in terms of plot development, not actually a lot happens. But once you get into the latter 
end of the film, particularly the ending of the film, mm. where the action does intensify, the start, the slow burn, almost the no burn, as I described it, does make sense. Sounds very much like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The way you're describing, if you, if we, yeah. if nobody knew we were talking about uh, the Last Black Man in San Francisco, mm. and uh, I, I would have thought it was. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that we were talking about. Just in that brief sentence mm, that you just said. I would say it's slower than Once Upon a Time and also the running time is considerably shorter. Mm. Um, It's it's one of the few criticisms I have of this film. I was 35, 40 minutes into the film thinking, I'm enjoying this, but I'm very aware that this is moving quite slowly. I wanted an injection of pace. I got an injection of pace. And once that came in... um, what what you did get to know was the characters. I, I left the cinema feeling like I knew these characters, I cared for these characters, and I was deeply invested in their story. And I thought both of the um, both of the performances were were brilliant. Okay, so David, then I might as well ask you the question mm. for this movie now. Uh, so, the Last Black Man, in San Francisco, is it worth it? Yes, look, I would say this film is is definitely worth seeing, but a, a word of caution: stick with it. Um, your average film goer, I reckon 35, 40 minutes into this, is going to be struggling um, just because it is very, very slow. You'll probably think this is visually great, lovely, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but it, when's it going to kick off? It does kick off, stick with it, it's worth it. It's a real emotional journey um, It's and it's a directorial debut that I think will be noticed come award season. Um, I think th- this is a very talented director who's clearly got a, a clear vision in this film and I'm looking forward to seeing some of his future work I would say that the film is definitely worth seeing great uh, let's move on to uh, the second one that you and I are going to do together this time uh, and this is Official Secrets now what is this one about well Catherine Gunn was a British intelligence specialist within GCHQ and in 2003 she received a memo now this memo outlined a manipulative NSA directive using the British intelligence service to collect information that could be used in a compromising way to blackmail UN Security Council officials into voting in favour of an invasion in to Iraq. Uh, unable to stand by and let a war go ahead under a manipulative multitude of circumstances, Catherine will uh, end up leaking this memo to the press. And it's then the consequences of these actions that reverberate throughout the film. Let's take a listen to a clip. Catherine, you okay? Yeah. Ben's already in the courtroom, but he wanted you to meet Martin Bright. Uh, he's covering the trial. Catherine, it's an honour. I'll be in the press gallery. Hope that's all right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you... You took a, a real risk. No, you took the risk. I think what you did was extraordinary. I think what you exposed was extraordinary. All our institutions failed us. The government, the intelligence services, the press, they failed us categorically. Even my own paper supported the war before that memo. Well, thank you for being here. No. Thank you. It's important what you did. Matters. I really like that clip because it, in essence, sums up exactly what Catherine done. And that was taking the one of the biggest risks of her, of her life, essentially, by leaking that memo. It could have stopped a war. And that obviously this is a, a, known, a, a mostly known story. And if you didn't know the story, you would have known uh, very early on uh, by watching the trailer uh, exactly what happened in this film about, um, you know, Catherine Gunn leaking this memo mm. to try and stop a war. And um, yeah, I mean, the film has a lot of consequences that 
that is shown throughout the whole movie about what it's like to be in Catherine's situation. Now, I didn't think the film was going to play out in that way. I thought it was going to play out in a more of a... Do you remember Spooks on, uh, on BBC? I do not. Okay, so it was more... <laughs> Sorry, was like, <laughs> I can't be more assistant. <laughs> it was a pretty good spy sort of drama. I've heard um, of it, but... There I, was I, a movie I... as well, mm. had Jon Snow in it. Jon Snow as in Jon Snow from Game of Thrones, can't yeah. remember his name. Um, that I thought it was going to play out a little bit like that, a bit more action-packed, um, mm. but it didn't. And you know what? I still really, really, really enjoyed it. I think Keira Knightley mm. gave a really fantastic performance. She was on top form in this film. Um... How did you feel about the film? I know you're very politically charged. It had a left-wing bias, but I would expect I would expect the film to have a left-wing bias when it's dealing with subject. It was fundamentally an anti-war film. Um, without going into the politics too much, what I will say is I thought Keira Knightley was sensational. Mm. Um, she really held this film together. She gives a really balanced. Um, performance that's vocally very, very powerful, but it's actually her physical mannerisms, the look in her face, the subtle movements in the facial expressions, the f- the body language that she has that shows this woman who has basically nothing to gain but everything to lose. Yep. She ha- she personally has nothing to gain by leaking this memo. It's not going to make her rich. It's not going to make her famous. The only thing that she ha- sh- th- there is to gain is potentially stopping this war, but by stopping this war or outing these lies these secrets she's in breach of the official secrets act which is ultimately going to see her being prosecuted and potentially sent to prison and i thought kira knightley played it really really well and she was the um sensible meat in an unsensible sandwich um <laughs> because there was a little bit of tomfoolery in there this was film. wasn't there so the supporting cast um i think matt smith played uh, martin bright who yeah. was one of the journalists that uh, published uh, the memo in uh, the observer yes i think the supporting uh, journalists around him uh, were a bit of a caricatures really yes they were uh, yeah. reefs iphones uh, who played one of the journalists was Reese Iphens, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, I mean, uh, whenever I see Reese Iphens or Effens, I call him Effens, but if it is Iphens, um, uh, it's like I, I just think of him when he was in Notting Hill. Notting Hill, yeah. that's right. Yes, with that Welsh accent, and he was. He wasn't like that, but in some ways, he was. was. Yeah, he I was very well. over the top and bravado and in your face, and he was really left wing. And we've got to stop Tony Blair, and this war's illegal. And it was just. All very, very over the top. And then you had Ralph Fiennes' character as well that was also a little bit flamboyant and he was almost like the good guy, you know, the, the caped crusader to come in and save our damsel in distress. Yeah. And and actually, those over-the-top characters injected a little bit of pace and a little bit of humour into the film because they were quite funny. But then what Kira Knightley did was bring us back to earth give us a sense of how serious this situation was not only for her but for the country and in essence for the world I mean the war in Iraq saw some of the biggest anti-war protests ever I believe um, millions of people all around the world were against that war um, and th- th- those those tomfoolery natures of, of of the other characters were brought back to earth by a fantastic Kira Knightley performance. I she was she, the glue that held this yeah, film together without really a doubt. Was. It was a very good script actually. I thought it was mm. really, really well written. I think it was really well directed. Uh, the director was in fact uh, Gavin Hood. Um, you know, 
there was a sensational cast in there. It is just a shame that those supporting roles weren't bulked out a little bit more. Mm. They weren't. They were a bit, as you say, I think a bit flamboyant in yeah. some of the in some of the um, ways, especially the editor. Oh my god, mm. how flamboyant was he? You know, yeah. very colourful in nature. I suppose and is the language. best way. Well, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is is the way of putting it really. Um, but it still hit home in um, in a sobering nature in terms of the the official secrets act yeah. and how ridiculous it actually is and i believe it was maggie thatcher who who brought that in i don't think she brought it in she made amendments to it um again without getting into the sort of legality of it it's but basically it's an act where if you breach it you you are in trouble because actually talking to a solicitor or talking to anyone about the fact that you've breached the Official Secrets Act would put you in breach of the Official Secrets Act. Subsections A, So you would actually, by talking about breaching, you would be in further breach. So once you've breached it, you're pretty much doomed. Um, This film, for example, reminded me a lot of The Post um, with Tom Hanks, but just not quite as good. Because what I was expecting was this to be a real political film, but actually it was more through the eyes of the journalists and and our main protagonist um, played by Kira Knightley so it had that feeling of um, of the post but the post just did it with a, a little bit more class um, and a little bit more balance this um, I mean there was buffoonery in there from Reese Evans and even from Ralph Fiennes and but that did inject that little bit of humour because let's let's face it, the war in Iraq. Whenever you hear someone talk about it, you you know you just want to go. Oh, it's like Brexit. You know, everyone has an opinion on it, but no one really wants to know what everyone else's opinion on it is. Yeah. Um, and you do need a little bit of light-hearted humour. And Ralph Fiennes is a great actor, and he's and he's really funny as well. Um, if you want to see him in in a very funny film, watch In Bruges. Um, I mean, when we came out yeah, of the film, we, were, we did. We were thinking of him, Bruges, <laughs> um, for a number of reasons. Matt Smith, look, every time I saw him, I just expect the Doctor Who's theme tune to come on. Um, but nonetheless, I thought he gave a very good performance. Yeah. Um, yeah, overall, I thought it was a very, very solid film. And that is shown in the Rotten Tomatoes scores. It gets a solid 81% from the critics and 89% from the audience. That is very, very good, solid scores. Yeah, it's been out for a while. Um yeah, it is still selling out. I mean, even the screen that we were in, was it packed. was packed. It was absolutely I was really packed. shocked. It's Apart from the Joker, it's one of the busiest screenings I've been in for quite some time. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely I would agree on that one. Um, and I've seen quite a few over the last mm. couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, this one is definitely up there. It's a, it's a 15, which um, took me by a little bit of surprise. But I think there was some scenes of a sexual nature in there um, and a few other bits and pieces which could push it over the edge. But I feel like this is a film that should be seen by a lot of people and mm. possibly the widest audience possible. I, I didn't know this was a 15. That... That baffles me to think that this has the same rating as the Joker astonishes me. If this is a 15, then the Joker has to be an 18. Um, This shouldn't be a 15. I'm sorry, but I think that's completely screwball. Mm. Well, it, it isn't in the box office. Or is it in the box office? Let me have a quick check. It's not. No, it's not. And it, um, at the time of um, uh, of us recording this, it isn't in the box office. Now, I'm hoping that perhaps when I come to do the box office rundown, uh, and this is going to be obviously in the future, this bit. <laughs> I know this is going to be like a Terminator style. Yeah. 
back to the future style thing that I'm about to say. But if it is in the box office for next week, then I'll be pleased because mm. I think it's definitely well deserved and I think it needs to be seen by a wide audience. Yeah, I mean, I thought the, the trailer, obviously, being a, a, a politics graduate, the trailer really interested me. It grabbed my attention. I think it's a film that should be seen. Um, it links in really well with Vice, which was a great film from last year, which focused on the um, the, the Bush regime and Vice President Dick Cheney. Um, the whole Bush-Blair situation, the war in Iraq, mm. fundamentally is is unbelievable really when you delve into it and and lied into a war whether you think the war was right or wrong and has ultimately been a success or a failure there is no doubt that the war was pretty much illegal um and it's yeah it you know and watch official secrets to find out why yeah yeah watch official secrets um i i don't think we can say much more no um well, apart from David, Official Secrets, is it worth it? Yes, look, I think Official Secrets is worth it. I thought Kira Knightley was superb. I haven't heard any Oscar buzz, by the way, for Kira Knightley. Um, our Road to the Oscars special, um, which we did, focusing on Best Actor, Actress, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, didn't mention her at all. Um, I don't think she'll be nominated. Um, it's it's a shame in, in, some, in some senses that there's no Oscar talk even. I haven't heard right. anything on any of the articles or people that I follow about Keira Knightley, but nonetheless, she was superb and her performance alone makes this film well worth seeing. I, I think maybe BAFTA. Yes, Craig... Very rarely do you say something sensible. Excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) I'm joking. But that is a great shout. BAFTA, yes, I think you are 100% spot on. Wouldn't surprise me at all if she's nominated for a BAFTA for Mm. this. Great call. Um, I think the uh, Official Secrets is 100% worth going to see. I think it's a a really good uh, piece of cinema where you'll learn something that perhaps you do not know. Even if you have read about about Catherine Gunn and what she did. Mm. Going to see this film will educate you that little bit more into the Official Secrets Act and um, what exactly the whole charade was, really. Mm. And, uh, yeah, definitely worth seeing in the cinema environment, I think, as well, Um, especially being surrounded by an audience as well. I think there were some funny moments in there that the audience laughed at, and that, that helped, actually. So, yeah, definitely go to the cinema to see Official Secrets. Uh, David, thank you for coming along uh, for this week 39. <laughs> no worries at all. Um, just just a brief explanation as to why this show has been slightly different. I'm flying out to Morocco in a couple of days' time, um, hence why we have some wonderful guests um, presenting the rest of the show. Mr Fields, it has been an honour and a privilege, and I look forward to seeing you on week 40. Yes, uh, that that will be an anniversary special, I suppose, won't it? Week 40. Like what, a is the fo- what is a 40th anniversary? I don't know. Is it... Not Diamond, Gold, Jubilee, what is it? I have no idea, but we can have a We'll Google it. Yeah, we'll Google it. Um, Have a very nice holiday as well, by the way. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I will bring you back something. So it's now time for the final review on week 39. And welcome to the studio, Floss. Hello. 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 <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you? I'm okay. You're um, fresh out of the cinema, aren't you? Literally, probably not even half an hour yeah. since I saw it. So it's the, the next film that we're going to be doing is The Adams Family, and it's literally, yeah, Floss saw it about half an hour ago, so her, all of her notes uh, uh, have sort of splashed onto the page, uh, ready to be told in a unique, stylish way, I'm sure. Literally splashed, because I was writing in the dark, and 
Not all of it is legible. So you were right. Oh, you were taking notes in the cinema as well. Yeah, but without looking because I didn't want to miss anything. Ah, that's pretty cool. I, I can see actually. <laughs> It's well done. It's well done. So, Floss, uh, a quick introduction from yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, I am 25. I love films. Wanted to work in a cinema so I could watch films for free all the time. <laughs> um, do a bit of like art and writing on the side. I don't really know what else to say. Well, you did say earlier that you studied bits and bobs at university. All kinds of things. Yeah, I did like three different degrees, but only finished one of them and I kept changing because stuff wasn't fun. And I was like, 27 grand to not have fun. It's not worth it. Yep. Is it worth it at university? No. <laughs> yeah. They were all film related in some way. Yeah. Um, one was performance design. So like that can include film set um, costume. One of them was film studies and the other one was creative writing. And they all in some way tied into film. Yeah, which has led you down to this very path where you're now... It's all led up to today. It's all led to this very moment in time. Uh, no, that's really good. And we're obviously enjoying having you working on the podcast as well. It's been really good having you here. Uh, and hopefully in the future as well, you'll be doing more things on the show as well, I hope, if you uh, if you want to. I hope so. Um, also, what have you got going on at the minute? You're doing something. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, my voice you might hear is quite scratchy, and that's because I'm in a musical, and it's really tiring, and I don't know if I should be plugging it, because it might have finished by the time this goes out. But that's fine, so that's okay then. So, I mean, you could say what it is, couldn't you? Oh, well, if anyone caught Hairspray in train um, at the court theatre... <laughs> Was it worth it? <laughs> probably, I don't know. We'll leave it to the listeners to decide who went and saw it. It's Amdram, so, like, you know... The stakes are quite low, quality-wise. Well, I'm sure it's brilliant. You didn't, you didn't want me to come and see it, though, did you? Well, I'm just, you know, I freeze up if I know people are watching. Yeah. I found out yesterday my old boss was in the audience. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't know, because I would not have been able to say or do anything. But if you didn't know I was there, it would have been okay. Yeah, but I'd see you. No, I, I told you before, I'd wear a fake, you know, fake nose and moustache and glasses. And you I'd know, see the you? shine on, <laughs> on your head. So let's get on with the review at hand. And it's The Adams Family. Now, what is this film about? Well, living on the fringes of society, Gomez, Morticia, Pugsley, Wednesday, Uncle Fester and Grandma are readily preparing for a visit from their even creepier relatives. But trouble soon seems to arise when shady TV personality Margot Neelia realises that the Adams' eerie hilltop mansion is standing in the way of her dream to sell all the houses in the neighbourhood below. Uh, let's take a little listen to a clip. Putrid. Mm, horrifying. I call spleen! Wednesday. Please, no ink stains on the table. Yes, mother. Gomez, everyone we've invited to the mazurka has threatened to come. I know, isn't it wonderful? All Adams is under one roof again. Yes. But where will everyone sleep? We'll have Lurch fix up the mausoleum. It'll be like sleepaway camp. Very well done. Uncle Fester! Brother! Don't worry, I'm okay. The plate glass window broke my fall. 
So that was a clip from the Adams Family uh, animated uh, film, uh, which is directed by Greg Tierman and Conrad Vernon. Uh, these two, uh, we were just looking up what they're known for. One is known for Thomas' Tank Engine, and the other was a voice on Shrek. He was the gingerbread man. He was. Which explains a lot, really, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it was does. Shrek. Feel, it, it felt like Shrek. It felt like Shrek, but not as good as Shrek. <laughs> no. Um, okay, I'll kickstart this review off by saying that I didn't enjoy this movie. There were two reasons why I didn't like this movie. The story, I think, was a little bit weak. Um, it was a little bit nonsensical. It wasn't the Adams Family. And the other reason, I think, was that the, it, was, it was animated. I, I am used to seeing um, the 1991 version of, of The Addams Family, which is, uh, you know, starred Christine Rickey, which was in sort of a breakout performance. Um, and it had uh, the uh, Angelica Houston and uh, Raul Julia um, and Christopher Lloyd as Uncle Fester. And, you know, these are the people that I grew up knowing. And this version of The Addams Family, I don't think was ever going to live up to to that 1991 classic? Possibly not. The cast, do you know what I was thinking as I was looking through the cast list? Mm. These would have been great live action portrayals. Like... Yeah, absolutely. I know exactly what you're saying. Oscar thinking. Isaac would have been great in live action, but I don't know. Mm. I mean, it is a stellar voice cast. We've got uh, Charlize Theron in there as Morticia, uh, Chloe Grace Moritz as Wednesday, Finn Wolfgard, Finn Wolfhard as uh, Pugsley. So it's it's a it is a really really good cast. But I just it. <sighs> yeah, I couldn't fault the voice acting. That was really good. That was all, you know, what you'd expect from that cast. Yeah. But yeah, the story didn't live up to the potential of the premise. No, exactly. So what we do have is, in essence, the Adams family. So they're a quintessential American family that like the opposite to what people in reality really do like. So they are, they love horror, they love spiders, you know, they 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 love death, they embrace death, you know, it's it's that sort of unique satire that, that, we're, that we're seeing here. But it then moves into the realms of the 21st century and, and you have this strange character that comes in that is based quite clearly on a, an amalgamation of different presenters from Extreme Makeover Home Edition that used to be on Living TV. I don't know if you remember that TV channel, Living TV, but uh, it, it was a show that I watched occasionally and it was so over the top, so American, so, you know, you know, ridiculous and they've basically brought that into here as an, as an antagonist. And, yeah, didn't like that at all. I hated the addition of things like cell phones and modern music references because I'm like, this is dated instantly. Exactly. And, and on top of that, you have this weird parallel with today's society of us constantly being monitored and watched. And it's like, does this, does this really need to be in an Adams Family film? No, <laughs> definitely not. It's, it's, it's really quite ridiculous. And I think if you remove that whole part of the film, the antagonist, I think you could have had a pretty solid film on your hands. All the times that it was working, it was the stuff with the family 
all the times it wasn't working is when we'd cut away to this weirdly animated... And because there was supposed to be a contrast between the Adams family are so weird, but then they'd cut back to everyone else, and everyone else was also so weird. And I was like, I don't know, are we supposed to think the Adams are weird? Because I'm feeling more weirdness from these strange, this weird pastel village thing that's happening. And like... I don't know. It's the contrast that they were they were aiming for the contrast between what modern day uh quintessential people are supposed to be like the 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 normality and I'm throwing quotations mark uh, marks up in the air is what 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 is normal essentially is the question that they are posing. And you know there is no such thing as normal. And the Adams family are are not normal but neither are the people in the in the town below and they to to get that message out there it just felt very long-winded and very stupid and dumbed down for the audience and the audience are supposed to be children i think children would be very bored yeah well also if the audience are supposed to be children there's so much stuff in here that will go over their heads and i know there's like the whole thing of putting something for the adults to get but i'm not even sure many well like i'm 25 i don't know how many people my age would have got it's a beautiful day in the neighbourhood, that reference, when mm. he starts playing that on the on the organ. Um, people age 25 have kids, take their kids to the cinema. I, I'm not sure what what target audience was this for. <laughs> well, my guess is that it's trying to bring a new audience in, a new young audience into to seeing the Addams Family, but it's also trying to bring in the older audience who watched the 1991 classic. But what they've done is ruined the 1991 classic for, for us, and they've alienated a younger audience because it was completely rubbish, essentially. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment. It's, there, were some, there were some great jokes. There were some like, good visual like, moments. That made me chuckle. Mm. I kept writing stuff down like, oh, I like that bit. But overall, feel no need to ever watch it again or no. recommend it to anyone. <laughs> I was tempted to come and watch it with you this morning. To see if a second viewing Maybe, yielded anything else. Yeah, but then I very swiftly changed my mind and realised I don't need to. Yeah. I, I mean... You know, the, the cartoonist Charles Adams uh, was the guy that brought this to life uh, in 1938. So this, uh, the Adams family have been going for a very, very long time. They've been on an NBC uh, TV show for many years. It didn't run for very long, but it's been in and out of um, popular culture for, for, for many, many years. And the 1991 film really did rekindle people's love and um, imagination for this satire family, essentially. Um, and... I do not think they have a place in this era no. if they're going to try and update it and bring it into this era. It needed to be maybe set in 1938, perhaps, or... Or completely timeless, with no specific... Yeah. Um, well, because... So, with my theatre stuff that I do mm. here and there, over the summer, um, I didn't massively help on it because I was very busy at the cinema, but yeah. um, my old company that I used to work with were at the Aylesbury Waterside doing Adam's Family, the musical. And I think that musical does a much better job of, like, what fun new stories can we tell with this family? Um, and it's, you know, it's Wednesday, slightly older, and she's fallen in love. And it's the same thing of, you know, they're meeting the family of this very normal boy that she's falling in love with. Yep. And they do a much better job of contrasting normal America 
and Adam's family, and maybe normal America has some some weird stuff going on as well. It's not quite as on the nose as this film, which is like, and they're they're putting cameras in your bathrooms and watching you every second of the day, and and yeah. you know it was a bit dystopian this one. Yeah, but it, it was almost over the top yeah. dystopian. Like it wasn't subtle. It, it, if it could have been a little bit more subtle about it, it probably would have worked a lot better. But this was really very much over the top, um, and the Adams family slightly toned toned down in a way. So to make the norm the normal people, supposedly normal people, look perhaps more normal, but they didn't come across that way whatsoever. No, even in the character design, I was thinking, how spoilery are we going with this? I mean, I, we're basically definitely going to tell people not to go and see okay. it, aren't we? So we can pretty much spoil it. Okay, that, so Wednesday makes friends with a normal girl. This normal girl had the most bizarre character design. Her whole face was at the bottom of her face, and her <laughs> forehead was like 12 stories high, and I was like, these are supposed to be the normal Americans and because you know I was making notes as I went along I was thinking about the comics the original comic panels and obviously in this the animated characters look like the comic strip Mm. characters but the thing is comics the reason why the designs are exaggerated is because you have to convey animation in something that doesn't move because it's a still image Mm. so you have to convey character movement emotion in these very over-exaggerated still images and taking those exaggerated things and then exaggerating them through animation was kind of too much. And I don't think I liked the character design of many people. No, 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 I agree, I agree. I mean... Morticia was great. Morticia, I can't even say her name now. Get it out properly. Morticia, there we go. I think she was the best animated character in there yeah um i wasn't so sure about gomez um left a little bit to be desired um oscar isaac still voice acted it very well yeah but but he didn't have much to do like he didn't have an arc of any kind other than him being like oh i should have been a better dad but like that I mean, wasn't really earned at any point. No, um, and your Gomez as well. Like, yeah. you're, you neglect your children. Like, you That's know, all part of the fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I, was, I was very disappointed with the film. And I think it's fair to say I think you were as well. Yeah, it was like glimpses of something better kept popping through. I wish there'd been a bit more subtlety in things. Like yeah. when that red balloon comes in. And I was like, oh, it's funny because it's like a Pennywise balloon. And then yeah. they say, there's normally a murderous clown attached to this. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. so kids aren't going to get that reference because kids aren't allowed to watch anything involving Pennywise because it's a 15. Adults didn't need you to point it out because they know, they know that's Pennywise. Exactly. Anyway. Uh, so I think we can probably round this off a little bit now, couldn't we? Yeah. Oh, I've got one final thing okay. in my notes. Go on then. Music choices bothered me because the Adams family is supposed to be disconnected mm. from I guess 21st century life it is in this version. And yet somehow they had these singing heads doing Cardi B and like random like Snoop Dogg and I'm like that's well, Snoop Dogg was in it, wasn't he? Yeah, in the most pointless cameo ever. Oh, oh, most ridiculous. Most ridiculous. He yeah. was who was he again? He was the um It. It. That's it. Cousin It, wasn't he? 
ridiculous. Like, don't try and have it both ways. Either they don't know modern life or they do. Like, can't throw Cardi B in <laughs> and pretend like I'm not going to think or, that doesn't fit with this. Or just don't throw Cardi B in ever because why would you? <laughs> There's going to be some very disappointed Cardi B fans now. Um, okay, Floss, I'm going to ask you the question. Yeah. The Adams family, is it worth it? How quick do I have to be? Um, at the end of the day, no, because there's other adaptations of this source material that probably hold up better. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that one. I mean, the 1991 is a classic. Definitely go and watch that. And if you fancy something a little bit out there, watch the Scooby-Doo one where they, they, they appear in the cartoon. I think that was quite cool as well. But other than that, I, I yeah, no, don't bother. I think the cast deserved better. Yeah, I agree. Sack the directors. <laughs> Floss, thank you very much for coming into the studio and helping me review The Adams Family and I hope uh, you'll be coming back right. very soon Hope I didn't ramble too much No, absolutely perfect Cool Thanks for listening to week 39 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Now I have a couple of thank yous to dish out. Uh, the first of which is to the Is It Worth It team. Uh, you are fantastic. You have all come together to help us finish week 39. So that's Shivani, Toby, Ranjit, David um, and Floss as well. You guys have been great. Mark, I know you were feeling really unwell and you didn't. You weren't able to join me on uh, this week's episode to help review one of the films. But it's okay. I hope you feel better. Uh, that is the main uh, thing that needs to be said there I think um, and to our newest Patreon supporter as well thank you so much for, for coming on board uh, Lawline you are, are you're amazing uh, thank you so much uh, we love your feedback as well that you give us on Twitter it's always really really good feedback and really positive as well um, and it will help us progress with all the new stuff we got your tweet about um, the Road to the Oscars stuff and that was a really really valid point and we're going to be integrating it into the next episode that is for sure david i hope you are listening to this on your way back from your holiday i hope you've had a really good time really rather enjoyed the image of uh, your dad and yourself on uh, two separate camels not one camel um that was really interesting and really quite humorous if i may so, so may say so myself there we go getting that out there um so if you'd like to become a patron supporter those of you who are listening um you need to head on over to uh, patreon.com forward slash is it worth it podcast um, and become a patron basically what that means is that you'll be paying a monthly uh, subscription to uh, patreon or the is it worth it podcast basically um, it's about three dollars a month to begin with um, and we're going to start setting up some new tiers which means that if you wish to um, pay a little bit more each month you'll be getting some goodies they could be anything from badges to stickers to oh god knows what else we're going to be doing but the highest tier one is going to be like a, a date with david and i basically you go and have dinner with us uh, and you'll also watch a film with us and uh, various other bits and bobs don't know what the various other bits and bobs are but it will be fun and it will be interesting and it will be film related nothing else okay cool so that is the end of the show i think i think that's fair to say we're going to end it there um next week on week 40 there's going to be 
David and I back in the hot seats and it's also going to be uh, some other cool stuff. Listen out for uh, the next Cinema at Home episode two, which has been recorded with myself and Ranjit. Um, and also listen out to the Road to the Oscars. Uh, the second episode has already gone out. Third episode will be being created fairly soon. There's loads of stuff in the works. It's uh, it's fantastic. It's a really good time to be alive and listening to Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. So, uh, ciao. Bye. Goodbye.